Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville on this Sunday evening, the 8th of March. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Thanks for tuning in. We got lots to talk about tonight, and it was a wild and wacky men's and women's basketball tournaments on the opening weekend, to say the least. So we have lots to talk about there. We have lots to talk about how it pertained to others. Um, it's just a lot of... <laughs> There's a lot going on. Uh, if you got questions for us, we'll get the crawl up in a bit. Not right now, but we will get it up in a bit. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Um, you can email us, hoopsville at D3sports.com. You can also um, join us on our Facebook simulcast, facebook.com slash Hoopsville or youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville. Uh, just a heads up. I may not be able to get to absolutely every question live here tonight, but we will do our best. We're going to talk quickly about what's happened in the tournament. Uh, then we're going to get to what happened over the weekend in terms of schools uh, deciding to shut down doors, as it were, to not allow fans in. We will also talk about what is possibly coming this weekend. We worked all day, a little bit unexpected, about a lot of breaking news going on. Um, and we may, we may end up getting joined by Pat Coleman as well to discuss some of this. It's <laughs> a lot going on. So, oh, and I didn't even hit the Twitter account, and there we go. Now we're now we're officially tweeted out there. Um, I think I will double check. Um, doesn't want to tweet for some reason. There we go. Ah, finally we're out. Uh, so again, you've got your ways of getting in touch with us. Um, it was a wild and wacky week, to say the least, uh, in terms of games and, and what was happening um, with those games. Not only upsets will certainly get some attention, but also some of the other news that was making it around. We'll get to the other news, but first and foremost, on the men's side, uh, Whitworth coming out of Texas, Dallas, with an impressive win on Laterno. The Laterno came back on that one, and then a win over Texas, Dallas. They will play Swarthmore. Uh, Ithaca with a with a huge come from behind victory over Babson in the first round uh, uh, had a good game against Swarthmore but Swarthmore ends up winning that one Brockport comes out of their um, grouping uh, defeating Middlebury uh, in their game uh, Tufts comes out of their grouping um, with a win over W I mean with RPI I should say uh, St Thomas def uh, defeats Platteville at their place uh, it, not only a, a really impressive victory over St Norbert but I think a more impressive victory over Platteville. And it sets up a Tommy Johnny's fourth rematch in Collegeville coming up this weekend as St. John's was able to get past Rippon and Eau Claire. Pomona Pitzer, Emory, you got to feel for him. Emory has lost five games this season, and three of them have come on buzzer beaters. And if you did not see the shot by Pomona Pitzer, and I'm afraid I don't have him right now, but if you didn't see the shot by Pomona Pitzer to win that game against Emory, it was incredible. Hats off to Emory. They actually guarded it extremely well. Just couldn't pull it off. Unbelievable uh, defensively. The shot by Pomona in the corner, double clutch, was tremendous. And now Pomona Pitzer will take on Elmhurst. Elmhurst with the upset of, of Worcester. Um, I'm sorry, Grove City with the upset of Worcester. Elmer's then beat Grove City. Elmer's had an easy game against Lightcoming and honestly, unfortunately, an easy game against Grove City. On the other side of the bracket, Mount Union gets out of their sectional with a, a, a pretty impressive win over uh, York. Wittenberg gets out of their grouping, but not before Susquehanna made them earn it. Susquehanna, of course, got the win over Benedictine in the first place. Randolph-Macon continues to roll along. They beat Wesley. How about TCNJ defeating Marietta? 
Marietta, nothing against Marietta. They're a good program, but I always worry they peak early. And I, gosh, it feels like it happened again. Uh, TCNJ, uh, Maybe not as close a game against Randolph-Macon, but hats off there. Of course, the big upset, I was on hand. Penn State-Harrisburg uh, over Johns Hopkins in double overtime. Hopkins had their top player, Connor Delaney, go down with an ankle injury five minutes into the second half. They end up coming from behind despite him being out uh, and force overtime, then force a double overtime after hitting a buzzer beater of their own after Penn State-Harrisburg had just had a shot themselves but then Penn State Harrisburg had all the energy and knock off number six Johns Hopkins at an empty Johns Hopkins more on that in a bit Yeshiva over WPI in a game that was delayed an hour and 20 minutes more on that in a moment win 102.78 and then beat Penn State Harrisburg 102.83 certainly missed out on the big matchup between Johns Hopkins and Yeshiva there but hats off so be Yeshiva and Randolph Macon at Ashland we should point out Mount Union and Wittenberg in alliance uh, Springfield uh, did not get out of their weekend. They got past SUNY Canton easily. Hobart with an incredible win over St. Joe's, despite the effort by St. Joe's to come back in that one. But Hobart ends up beating Springfield. We'll learn more about that game coming up. They'll travel to Christopher Newport because the captains came out of Stevens, the victors. Stevens didn't even get out of the first round. Nichols with the uh, sh- late shot to take the lead. Stevens' shot was halfway home and came back out. Christopher Newport defeated Colby and then defeated Nichols, and Christopher Newport will take on Hobart. Uh, Nebraska Wesleyan with a close game against Webster. Webster led for a, a good chunk of that game. Watch you got past Bethany Lutheran rather easily, and then shockingly had an easy time with Nebraska Wesleyan to move on. They'll play at North Central, where the Cardinals got past Adrian and then used overtime to knock off the defending national champs, UW Oshkosh. Most importantly, there is not one WIAC team left for some of those who had asked me earlier when I said I didn't think a lot of WIAC teams would get out. Uh, there's your proof. And so we're on to the second weekend. On the women's side, it was just as thrilling. Tufts comes out of their weekend, not surprisingly, but Williams comes out of Ithaca. That might be a little bit of a surprise. We'll talk to Pat Manning later in the show about all of that. Smith comes out of New Paltz with a 62-60 victory over New Paltz. Very impressive by Smith after they defeated DeSales in the first round, by the way. Messiah comes out of their weekend. Maybe not all that surprising. Bowden comes out of theirs uh, after NYU knocked off Emmanuel in the first round and Bowden knocked off Brooklyn, and Bowden wins. Trine survives the Whitewater. They defeated Benedictine in the first round easily, 65-37. Redlands knocked off Whitewater, 70-62, and then Trine said thank you for coming to the central part of the country, Redlands. Sent them home with a 69-49 loss. In the meantime, Oglethorpe gets out of Transylvania, the victors, thanks in part to Randolph-Macon knocking off Transylvania. Uh, And Oglethorpe knocked off Randolph-Macon, and they will play Whitman. Whitman knocks off Wartburg at Wartburg. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They will all play, by the way, in Bowdoin. That is three flights, I believe, because I'm pretty sure Trine can't get to Bowdoin in Brunswick, Maine next weekend. On the other side of the bracket, Amherst comes out, not surprising, uh, though they had a test with Rowan early on, though eventually won by 20. George Fox gets out of Marymount, not only defeating Montclair, but defeating Marymount, who had defeated Gettysburg, uh, 68-48. George Fox will travel to Amherst. More on that in a minute. Texas Dallas uh, could not hold the home court. Mary Harden Baylor comes out of that one after defeating Austin. 
Uh, Trinity, Texas had beaten Texas Dallas, and Mary Harden Baylor comes out of the Texas quad. They will travel to Amherst, and they will take on Christopher Newport. Christopher Newport went up to Scranton and did not have to face Scranton after Endicott pulled off one of the bigger upsets in the first round of NCAA tournament women's basketball history in Division Three with a win over Scranton 65-56, and then... Christopher Newport had their hands full with the goals as well before pulling off the victory. And then in the lower right-hand corner, DePaul could not come out of the of their home victorious. Once again, a season that looks so promising for, for DePaul falls short. Loris comes out of that one after they defeated Lacrosse and then DePaul. Oshkosh comes out of it on the other side after <laughs> they didn't have to face Bethel. Bethany Lutheran with the other rather surprising victory in the first round of Division Three women's basketball history. Did, knocked off Bethel, did Bethany Lutheran, and then Oshkosh beat them only by seven. And then in the lower right-hand corner, Baldwin-Wallace will take on Hope. What a thrilling matchup that should be. Baldwin-Wallace had an easy time with Haverford, which certainly surprised me. Not that Baldwin-Wallace wasn't good. I thought Haverford would just give him a hard time. Chicago got past LaRoche, and then Baldwin-Wallace squeaked past Chicago. Illinois Wesleyan got past Berea in a surprising 26-point win. I thought Berea would be more of a battle. Hope remains undefeated, but they run into Baldwin-Wallace all those games at Hope. So there's your recap, and we're done with that because we have more to talk about. I was at Johns Hopkins this weekend, and as many of you know, after we went off the air Thursday night at about 11.15 that night, it came out that Johns Hopkins was closing down the campus um, or closing down the games, I apologize, closing down the games to any crowd. Nobody was going to be able to get into these games, um, and, and they cited what had developed that night, as you may have remembered if you tuned into Thursday's Hoopsville, we found out while on the air that Maryland had three cases of uh, COVID-19, the, the otherwise known as a coronavirus, and so Hopkins announced that they were going to close out the crowds due to those three cases in Montgomery County. And you should understand, Baltimore and D.C. are separated by about 45 or 50 miles or so. It takes about an hour and a half on a good day to get to and from those locations. Uh, Montgomery County is to the north, northwest of D.C. So it's about 40 miles as the bird flies from Johns Hopkins. And that was Hopkins's reasoning. However, I will say this. Every indication uh, from what I saw is they had originally set up Yeshiva to play at 1 and Hopkins to play at 6. Uh, if Yeshiva won, they would play at about 8.30, and if Yeshiva lost, they'd play at about 5. All indications this had nothing to do with Montgomery County. First and foremost, uh, they, the, the Hopkins, and, and I mean higher-ups, even though it came out of the athletics department, cited the Montgomery County cases and cited the CDC's um, description of how you should handle things, but did not shut down the crowds to end the year other events on the campus. Now, two of them were outdoors in baseball and lacrosse. Of course, lacrosse taking on Syracuse, which is a big game in men's lacrosse division one. Uh, and I got heard basically off the records on the sly that, oh, it's because it's an outdoor event. But let's take it another step further. After the Yeshiva game, we were all um, asked to leave the gym where they proceeded to thoroughly clean the gym. Um, disinfectants and whatnot of the entire gym, floor seats and everything from what I could tell. Uh, we were made aware of that ahead of time, but there wasn't also a big deal made of that. And so we sat outside the gym for several hours while that took place. I was told it took about 40 to 45 minutes to fully clean the gym. And again, no crowds on hand. So while they're talking about Montgomery County, all indications were this was about Yeshiva. Now remember, there was a Yeshiva student who had uh, tested positive several days earlier, and then 
that morning, Friday morning, a yeshiva rabbi slash professor also tested positive. There was an effort to double check yet again yeshiva's basketball team's medical records to make sure there wasn't any contact and that they were cleared, which we had mentioned on Thursday when we talked to Elliot Steinmetz that that had already happened when we were talking about the whole hotel debacle. Uh, that delayed the game, and WPI, I am told, was in their hotel waiting for their admins to approve that they come and play the game. And thus the delay not only to 2 o'clock, but then on to 2.20, because by the time all those uh, clearances were made, WPI wasn't going to be ready to play at 2 o'clock. And then three WPI players chose, for whatever reason, not to play in that game and not to suit up. We could dive into all of that if we need to, um, but more importantly, what I what my frustration with all this was was Johns Hopkins, who's a a top medical institution, one I know very well. Several of my doctors, including my back doctor, is a Johns Hopkins doctor. They have the university, they have the hospital, they have the research side. They obviously are very knowledgeable in what they do, and they have a pandemic uh, side of things, including the fact that on the NCA task force there is an, a Johns Hopkins doctor. So here's the crazier part about this. While they're citing the Montgomery County cases, they're not acting like it's Montgomery County. They're acting like it's Yeshiva. They're acting like the problem is they're worried about the cases at Yeshiva, but they're talking about Montgomery County. And by they, I mean higher up admins. I'm not talking about necessarily those who are in game ops with the basketball teams or, or vast majority of the athletic department. Um, here's the other problem. The rest of Maryland best I can tell, hasn't canceled any events and hasn't closed out the crowds to any events. I believe the Maryland basketball game, which is certainly much closer to Montgomery County, took place today with a full crowd. And at last I checked, the wrestling championships in the state, which took place in what's in a town named Upper Marlboro, located in Montgomery County, also took place with crowds. So what Johns Hopkins using that as a cover, it felt to me, uh, and I think it felt to others as well, like a convenient cover for lack of a better description. And Johns Hopkins used it to handle the yeshiva being in town and maybe keeping their fans from attending. Now, here's the problem. If they had come out flatly and said, hey, we know there's a case at yeshiva. Oh, now we know there's two cases at yeshiva. We realize the team is cleared, but we're not sure if the fans who are coming to this game, whether they be in Baltimore or from New York, have had any contact with these individuals and out of, uh, out of respect or out of uh, due diligence or whatever you want to call it, we want to be sure and we're going to close down the gym for the entire weekend just to be careful. We may not have liked it, but we can understand it. Okay, now they're pointing at a specific reason for a problem. And in the meantime, they have gone off and done something else. Um, in this case, they talked about Montgomery County they talked about cases not even close to Johns Hopkins, but all their actions, all their actions had to do with the yeshiva. Now let's fast forward to today. When the brackets came out, Amherst was given a hosting. Now, if you didn't know, 90 minutes before the first game at Amherst this weekend, they shut the doors with absolutely no warning. Fans came on site, found out they couldn't get in, etc. Women's committee chose Amherst to host. That's Amherst, George Fox, Mary Harden, Baylor, and Christopher Newport. Three flights. We'd be talking about three flights right now if not for the fact that Amherst got the host and then I was told almost immediately that the president at Amherst has already decided to shut down the doors. That has, re that has caused a reaction 
as you can probably imagine. First and foremost, the teams are not happy from everything I've been able to gather. Let's start with this. I talked to a number of people today. Not everybody wanted to go on the record, but Mark Moorfield from U University of Mary Hardin Baylor. Mark Moorfield from uh, UMHB most certainly went on the record, and here's his quote. Currently, not uh, completely not fair to student-athletes involved. To tell a family they can't come see their daughter play is not right. Completely takes away from the student-athlete experience. We were just in San Antonio and close to a hospital where a number of people were quarantined for the virus and a mall that they were allowed to go to. They did not, that did not sway Trinity University in any way to not allow families and administrators to attend. If Trinity allowed people to come and had a reason to not allow it, given the situation in San Antonio, then what is Amherst's excuse? Mark goes on to say, all three teams have agreed to take a stand against this. This has been relayed to the NCAA that all three schools will stand together, that this needs to change, allow families, or move the site. Obviously, that is significant. We have checked with a number of individuals about this. I do know a call took place this afternoon that featured higher-ups in, in Division Three, from what I am told, including the vice president of Division Three, Dan Dutcher, and others, and that another call will take place tomorrow morning to discuss this. And from what I'm gathering, there may be several calls from several different locations to deal with these across the board. But here's what we got from Karen Harvey, the Division Three Women's Basketball Committee Chair, who's also Montclair State's women's basketball coach. She says the National Committee followed the selection criteria for awarding hosts per instructions from the NCAA. Criteria number five, which is the revenue potential, is not taken into consideration from the, for most D3 tournament site in most sports as they are not revenue earning. She also said... The NCAA is looking further into the situation at Amherst and will make any adjustments needed once they have met, consulted, and discussed all issues. So that's where things stand. Uh, give me a moment because uh, our good friend Pat Coleman may be able to join us here momentarily to give his take on this as we're, as we're trying to cover this from all angles, as you can possibly imagine. Here's the deal from, my, our, from what I'm gathering. The teams are frustrated that they are being sent to a school that is already stated nobody will come in the doors. Now, I'm told, as Karen Harvey said, that number five, the revenue side of things, is not used in Division Three. However, I have been told the opposite. This is not towards Karen in any way, shape, or form. I want to be clear with this. But I've been told that revenue is something that they consider, even if it is small. And one of those things considered is on the men's side. Do you know they raised the cost? The price of tickets this year just a little bit to see if they could bring in more revenue and i and i say this in all seriousness they don't bring in um they don't bring uh they don't bring yeshiva to johns hopkins with the mentality that nobody's going to show up they knew they could get a good gate there does that make sense and so there's a lot going on with this there's a lot we can't quite figure out um, there's a lot we've been told, to be honest, and there's a lot we're still trying to figure out. And um, with that in mind, I'm going to try and get our friend Pat Coleman to join us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline via Skype, and he's now there. And, Scott, this has been a whirlwind day. You know that from my vantage point for sure. Uh, and, of course, I'm throwing things at you in the meantime. 
where is your take on not only what happened over the weekend, what Amherst has decided, and where things stand now with the NCAA? Well, Dave, first off, I just hope that the audio is working. Is that all right? You hear me all right? Got a little bit of an echo, but I don't know if that's on my end or your end, sir. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, just a crazy weekend with all of this stuff. Uh, you mentioned, I think the biggest thing is not, I mean, the, obviously the Johns Hopkins stuff is big and maybe it started the dominoes, but, you know, uh, the folks at Amherst not letting people know until 90 minutes before the game, 30 minutes before the door was to open, that they were not actually going to open the doors to a, a program such as the United States Merchant Marine Academy, which brings uh, student athletes and students from all across the country. And so had people from California, people from the Midwest who expended money, you know, spent money in order to get there, spent their time in order to get there, only to be told that they weren't going to be allowed to enter. Of course, that is to me just uh, it, it's basically unfathomable. And, I, and I, I was very disappointed to 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 see that that happened. And then, you know, to then to go right back and go there. It's just very disheartening to me and it's uh, been the source of a lot of discussion out in the public and uh, and as you said it's going to be apparently the source of a lot of discussion inside the ncaa continuing yeah let me quickly i got an, a, a statement from uh, amherst just as we were hitting the air i want to give it a chance to read it given the rapidly changing nature of the covid 19 situation administrators at amherst college have made the difficult decision to prohibit spectators from attending the ncaa games at our facilities out of abundance of caution and are being mindful of the health of the Amherst community, including the teams that competed. We severely, sincerely regret the disappointment and the difficulties of, this, of these decisions may have caused. At this point, the NCAA tournament games at Amherst will proceed with this change, and we hope fans of the teams playing nevertheless watch the women experience the thrill of playing an NCAA tournament game via the live stream. And, yeah, that kind of opens up a th few things. Let me quickly add... I did check with Amherst. This is not currently op affecting any other sports. Um, that could change. They've had some open-air sports, per se. In, in other words, outdoor sports, that could change, obviously based on, I was indicated, even a call tomorrow at the higher-up Division Three level. Also, indoor sports, they have hockey right now who's playing well. Um, sorry, forget the gender off the top of my head. Um, maybe both. Um, and if they get a bid, I am told that they will have the same procedures in place for that as well. Pat, the end of that statement they gave us, the experience and uh, experience the thrill of playing an NCAA tournament game via the live stream. I was at Hopkins. There was no thrill that you normally get there because there is no crowd reacting to every shot. Well, and that's, you know, exactly what you're talking about, right? You had the ability to be there firsthand and to see that and you can express that to, to other people. Uh, you know, those are two games which uh, I think we had talked about earlier. They had split the sessions. They were expecting absolutely to sell out the first game between Yeshiva and WPI and then probably to come pretty close to selling out the uh, Johns Hopkins-Penn State-Harrisburg game. Uh, instead, you know, that's 2,500 or so people who do not get to uh, do not get to witness this up close and personal. Dave, if nothing else, I'd have to think that there has to be somewhere a middle ground. Can't we talk about you know, giving, uh, you know, each of the participating student athletes two tickets to provide or four tickets to, to provide for for a family, something like that. You know, Lafrac Gymnasium is certainly big enough that you can put 60 people in it and, you know, not have them very close to each other. Right. I, I think that, that if that's something that is necessary, I just cannot fathom uh, and I cannot condone playing these games somewhere where even the families of the student athletes cannot 
come in and see the games. To me, that's just mind-boggling, and I can't imagine, I can't believe they went back there. Well, and here's my problem with it all. Okay, listen, and back to the Johns Hopkins point again. You, you point out Montgomery County, who, where you certainly know well, that's yes. not close to Hopkins, yet all the actions were about Yeshiva. If you yeah. come out and say, listen, we're concerned about the cases at Yeshiva, we realize the team's okay, but we can't account for the fans. Okay, so be it. We don't have to like it, but so be it. But let's add the next layer to this. Trinity, as Mark Morfield points out to us in his quote, they had cases at a hospital near the university, and the university was totally did not feel it was a concern. I don't want to say this is an overreaction by schools, but, hey, Pat, we've had H1N1, we've had SARS, we've had bird flu, we've had yeah. swine flu, and I don't remember sporting events being shut down. And, oh, by the way, the NCAA has stated this shouldn't really be happening right now. Well, what's happening, Dave, is, you know, obviously these are not people, as you said, it's not the game management people at Johns Hopkins no. that made this decision. And I assume it's not, it's the same at Amherst. Correct. Uh, you know, the irony that there is this discussion hap that happened at one of, as you said, the premier medical research institutions on the planet and a, 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 a school where the, you know, an expert is on this NCA panel and the NCA panel is not saying to, to cancel games. And the NCAA said on CBS, there's no way they're going to uh, have closed fans out of those games on the Division One NCAA tournament that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, the thing is, is these are not, those are not the people making the decisions. I, it, it seems fairly obvious. And I think we've all worked in situations uh, where, you know, legal has uh, the, the, the lawyers uh, have their say and that is what goes and it seems very clearly to me that that is what's happening here abundance of caution aside i have some words i would like to say about abundance of caution that i probably shouldn't on this broadcast but uh, <laughs> it definitely is not it, it it this is not necessary if the if the epidemiologists are saying this is not necessary if the nca's panel of experts including johns hopkins including emory and, you know, some other non-Division three schools who have research institutions and experts as well uh, say that it's not necessary. I'm going to go ahead and say it's not necessary. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, many could have probably seen my tweets at about midnight on Thursday when this first came out. Uh, and then what I've said since, and I will assure you, I've been biting my tongue as well. And again, good people I know at Johns Hopkins, this right. isn't them. And as you point out, this is not the people at Amherst. I actually applaud um, Melissa at Amherst for getting us a release. I got an indication that maybe we didn't qualify for that kind of, of uh, content, and I thank Melissa for getting that. Pat, let me ask you this. Why can't we let Amherst host, but let's move it to Springfield or move it somewhere else nearby where they can still run it, but we at least allow a crowd in? If, if the president of Amherst doesn't want it on his campus, so be it. We'll go find another site. Or worse, and we'll get to this part B, Maybe there's a change. We should point out there still could be a change coming. We just don't know it as of this time. Well, and it's very interesting. You know, you, you uh, threw up the Mark Morfield quote there. Uh, you know, it would be a very interesting to see what happens if push comes to shove and they do say, you know, that there's, that there, there's nothing they're going to do. I assume all three of these teams are going to participate. It's not going to be like what might have happened. It seemed like there was a reasonable chance that WPI might not have played that That's game. That's what against I got Yoshida. the sense. Yeah. Right. And that would be borderline unprecedented i would have to say yeah. in, in division three um but I, yeah absolutely there's lots of options right if, if you don't feel like you want to have it on campus in lafrac and take on that liability then yes you know you find somewhere else there are many other division three 
appropriate arenas in Western Massachusetts, as you and I well know. Yes, absolutely. Um, by the way, we could also move it to another site. Christopher Newport, now that would m- mean a men's, women's coast co-hosting. We'd have to find basically an, amen- an emergency ad- an amendment to put in there to allow that to happen. But more importantly, they'd have to coordinate around the men. I, I don't think the men are necessarily swapping that to Hobart off the top of my head. But put it this way, I got the sense that if the men were dealing with this, they would switch sites. I, don't, I can't quote that. I don't have that from a source. I'm just saying I get the sense then the men were thinking, you know what, we would switch this. Well, and I think that they should be a little more open to it. I don't know that who, you know, when push comes to shove, who's making that decision at the NCAA level either. I'm not sure that there's, you know, there's probably not legal uh, discussions over there. But, you know, you uh, you have those quotes. Well, you have those quotes from Karen Harvey. Uh, It seems quite obvious to me from everything that I've heard is that the women's committee is not the one calling the shots on this. Correct. Uh, And it seems... Yeah, as you yeah. said, there were people above that level in the conversation, and I would have to assume that that comes from there. But, you know, I don't know if uh, those people saw what the Merchant Marine families were dealing with uh, or the Rowan families uh, exactly on, uh, you know, or I have to look. I'm sorry, the Framingham State families that we're dealing with with not being able to be part of that uh, first round on Friday night and then that second round on Saturday. Yeah, let me, let me I, cl- clarify. I do think this is above the committee to some degree i don't know where i do have a feeling the committee is doing its best and maybe getting a little handcuffed here i can't say for sure but i don't think this is karen and her committee digging in heels or anything like that no you know and here's another thing too you could have you could have solved two very interesting things in this women women's bracket by sending it to you know mary harden baylor or george fox for example actually three three things Three important optical things. One, that the West Coast and the Texas area tends to get screwed, shall yes. we say, when it comes to this sort of hosting. B, uh, that you have three NESCAC teams hosting in this round. And then, you know, C, I don't know if I got ABC, one, two, three, whatever, the fact about the fans. You could have fixed all three of those things by not sending it to Amherst in the first place. And I'm yeah. sure that that committee probably knows these things and has heard these complaints from you know, the, the Northwest Conference and the American Southwest Conference specifically. Um, and they, But clearly they did not have the authority to actually make that decision in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I gather this weekend's to shutting down the of the doors. We may have been strike two on Amherst. They didn't have a really good tournament last year either um, with some problems. And, and from I a think logistical a standpoint, what? you mean from like a logistical standpoint? From a logistical, yeah, I'm sorry, from a logistical yeah. point of view, so. Uh, I'd love to keep talking, but I got to go because I booked the show full of guests, not figuring we'd spend 30 minutes on COVID-19. I figured maybe 19 minutes. Um, uh, Maybe we'll bring you back if if we get enough uh, news on Facebook or there's an update on that. But any final thoughts before I let you go? No, I just hope that, uh, you know, we let the basketball people make these decisions and that we let the, the basketball fans come see the basketball games. It's the most wonderful time of the year for a reason. And you should not be uh, restricted to just watching it on a one-camera live stream. I agree with you. We have uh, great live streams out there, but it doesn't mean we should be ruining the experience for the crowds and the teams as a result. Pat, thanks for the time. I know you came on last minute, and you helped me out getting a lot of that stuff together. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. You bet. Have a good rest of the show. Thank you. Pat Coleman joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline via Skype. Really appreciate it. Uh, quick note, again, I think Johns Hopkins loses that weekend because they don't have a crowd there. Harrisburg came out, punched them in the nose, but they didn't have a crowd that helped punch them back. And I think that cost Johns Hopkins as a result. 
It may cost Amherst. It may cost Amherst a lot of things, but we'll see down the road. we got to take a break. We will cover this throughout the night. We'll get back to it later in the show. But for now, we got to get to our guest. The first one out of the gate, North Central's Todd Raritan. He'll talk to us about how the Cardinals are still dancing in the second weekend of the tournament. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will after this. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I just wanted to get good grades and 
to do well, but it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that, and it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue along here on this Sunday evening, March the 8th, if you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can also email them, hoopsville at d3sports.com. That's hoopsville at d3sports.com. Lots of ways of communicating with us. We didn't get a chance to mention this at the top of the show because we were so darn busy, but our friend Pat Cunningham at Trinity, Texas, interestingly enough, has chosen to retire this season. Um, or after well, now the season is over for him. Um, we will uh, hopefully be talking to him on Thursday as he is also part of the uh, all-star committee. We hope to talk to him about that and the decision to retire and what may be the future for him as well. But our hats off to Pat Cunningham, dear friend of the show. We appreciate what he has done for us and we look forward to uh, talking to him down the road. All right, so let's get back to the games that actually took place. And North Central certainly had a good weekend. Uh, they are rolling along despite a loss to Elmhurst in the semifinals. They beat Adrian by 15 and got past the defending national champs in overtime, 84-82, meaning we're going to have a new champ. Up ahead of them is Wash U. Those game, that game, I should say, will be in Naperville at North Central. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, the head coach of the Cardinals of North Central, Todd Raritan. And, Coach, first and foremost, thanks for joining us, and uh, congratulations on what has been a pretty successful start to this tournament. Well, I appreciate having me, Dave. And, uh, 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 you know, nothing's ever easy this time <laughs> no. of year. And we're, just, we're just glad we're, we're, we survived and we continue to play. Yeah, give us a sense of uh, how things went from your perspective uh, to start things off. You guys had Adrian, um, the, the MIAA champions. You defeated by 15. Of course, you had Oshkosh in that second one. How'd the weekend go from your from your vantage point? Well, I thought, uh, you know, I was very worried about Adrian. They won like 10 of their last 12 basketball games, and they won the Michigan uh, Conference uh, automatic, and they went through the uh, their conference tournament, you know, won three straight. Uh, they have a terrific uh, team, I thought, and uh, you know, I was. I thought we we did a nice job rebounding the basketball. We controlled their point guard. I thought did a pretty decent job on him because he averages like 23 points a game. Uh, you know, he was going to get his points, but I thought we did a nice job on everybody else. Um, and, and you know, we we played well enough that we, we won. And so then we moved on to Oshkosh, and uh, when you're playing the defending champion, and we've already played them once, the first game of the season for us. It, it's never easy, and, you know, you, uh, their size is such. I mean, they're very talented. They're well-coached. Uh, they're an excellent basketball team, and, you know, they they controlled a lot of the game last night, and uh, we were we just about the last 10 minutes, uh, we got hot. We executed well offensively and did some nice things defensively and worked out for us. Yeah, of course, you, you mentioned you did play in the beginning of the season. They beat you 76-66, but they got out to a 5-5 five and five start you guys got out to a four and three start, so kind of reminiscent. But you guys caught fire from there. How different were they, and how different were you in this rematch? Well, I think that you know they've lost a couple of players that that played in that uh, first game against us, and, and we were a different team than than we were uh, last night. Uh, you know, we had we had a couple of kids that were hurt um, that did not play, and. Uh, 
sense, really, since the Carthage game. Uh, I mean, our rotation has pretty much been the same since then when we played at Carthage, and uh, it's worked out for us. I feel like, you know, we, we played pretty well with uh, eight-man rotation. I mean, I think we can go 10 deep very easily. But, uh, you know, this time of year, we've really limited our, our bench to about eight. And uh, like I said, I, I like what we're doing right now. I, I, you know, it boils down to how well we're playing defense and rebounding. And so far, you know, we're just we're hanging in there. When you look at what you guys have been able to accomplish this season, it's interesting because you were in an interesting CCIW, uh, to be honest. We've been so used to Augustana being the one you're all chasing. Um, and while they're still a threat, we had kind of a ro- rotating door, as it were, a little bit at the top of the CCIW. Did that make the games maybe a little bit more demanding and maybe kind of fine-tune you guys a little bit? Uh, I would agree with that. You know, I, I just think that, you know, I, I felt like going in that, uh, I mean, we had some experience back, probably more uh, the most experienced team of anybody in the CCIW, but at the same time, I thought, you know, everybody in our league was going to be good. You know, there was each, every team had somebody back, uh, a good player. And in some cases, they had three or four good players back. And, you know, they added some good t- uh, players uh, onto their roster. So there was never an easy game for us. I didn't feel like in the CCIW, and I never feel that way. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we got two teams in the national tournament. We probably, you know, in my mind, uh, I'm a little biased, but I thought we deserved at least three, but uh, it didn't work out that way, unfortunately. But uh, I just think that uh, from top to bottom, I, I really like our league, and I think that gets us ready, you know, down the road in the national tournament, no matter how you come out of the CCIW. I think you're prepared if, you, if you're doing well in, that, in, the, in our league. I think it gets you ready for the, uh, uh, the national tournament. Since that 4-3 and three start, you've only lost two games. You now get to host this second weekend, which means back-to-back hosting for you guys. Um, and it's a solo game, which you will play on uh, Friday, I think. Um, Correct. And you'll take on Wash U. No stranger to Wash U, certainly. But how do you approach this weekend? We haven't seen something like this since 2013 or since the buys existed, and I don't even know if you even experienced it then. Uh, you know what? We did. Actually, uh, that was the year we actually got to the Final Four where they had the eight teams. They went to uh, Salem. Oh, and, right. Uh, it, was, it was a great format. It really was. And uh, But the, the diff- it was a little different because I think we went one game each weekend leading up to yes. the uh, final game. And this year they went, you know, in pods with uh, four teams uh, this year as opposed to just one game. And now we moved to one game each weekend. Um, you know, it uh, just – I mean, every team right now is extremely – to me is really good. And uh, uh, Wash U is no different. I mean, to, to go out to uh, Lincoln and win that game, win two games really and, and easily – uh, tells you how well they're playing right now. Yeah, I know it's early on, and so this question's a little bit unfair, I guess. But you know, what do you know about them, and, and what do you see about them that you think you can, uh, you're going to need to be able to take advantage of, or, or what you may need to be adjusting to? Um, you know, they don't they don't run the same stuff that Mark Edwards used to run, right. uh, which which is uh, you know, and Mark had a great program, and I, and I think that Pat has obviously taken that and just continued with it. Uh, he runs different things, but he also has tremendous uh, talent. I, I think they're well coached. I think they do an excellent job defensively. They're outstanding. Um, you know, it, it's we're really going to have to execute 
our offense, and yet at the same time we they, they hammer the glass, and uh, you know they're they're a nightmare from a matchup standpoint for us. And uh, but you know we're really fortunate that we have a home game again. Uh, I mean, our, I thought our crowd Saturday night in Murder Field House was outstanding. I thought you know it was a big lift. I mean, we, we didn't give them much to cheer about until about that ten minute mark, and then they things got really. Uh, I mean, from an fan standpoint it got exciting got loud in there and uh you know I, I thought that that atmosphere hopefully that atmosphere carries over to uh, friday night sure i'm curious this is maybe a little bit of a reach but you know obviously he coached at oshkosh and led them to the championship game in his final season and then matt lewis takes over and leads them to the title the next year and you see him now this year can you look at oshkosh and make any direct parallels of what you know you'll face off in wash U in terms of what they want to accomplish, what they may run, how they may approach you defensively, or is there just not enough comparisons? Well, there, I think there are. I mean, I've just I've watched a little bit of uh, Wash U. You know, they'll they'll hammer the ball inside. They they push the basketball. They they can shoot. They have kids that can shoot the ball from three point uh, and shoot it deep. So you have to defend the arc. They ball screen some out there to get them open. They'll get. Uh, baskets in transition, just like Oshkosh did. Um, you know, and they, yep, they, you know, like I said, they have a couple kids inside that they're, you know, they're not six eight, six nine like uh, Oshkosh has, but uh, they're strong and they're quick and, and they can, uh, you know, they can do their load inside as well. So definitely a lot of comparisons uh, between the two schools, and, and I, you know, both both have done extremely well. Let's talk about this team real quick before we let you go. Led by your son, Connor Raritan, 14 points a game. Matt Capaletti at 13.7. You also are getting uh, Blaze Meredith at 9.5 points a game. And Matthew Helwig at 8.5. We should also mention Michael Pollock at 8-plus points a game. We could keep on going and going from there. The first two guys in Raritan and Capelli leading the team in rebounding. Tell us a little bit about more than what the box score tells us. Well, I think it's a, it's a very unselfish team. That's what I like about our team right now. I think they play hard defensively. Uh, obviously, we're undersized, uh, but I think we also do a pretty good job of team rebounding at both ends of the floor. And, uh, you know, I think that it's not, you know, we don't rely on on uh, Matt Capaletti or Connor Raritan to do everything for us. I think that each, you know, we're, we're well balanced. And, again, another sign of a good team, I think, is that, uh, for example, last night, uh, uh, Connor fouled out with, uh, I don't know, three or four minutes maybe to go and didn't miss a beat. I mean, our kids actually uh, picked it up, and it was nice to see that we moved the basketball well without him, and, and we just didn't we just didn't rely on him or Matt to have to do stuff. I thought, uh, you know, obviously uh, Blaze Meredith was, was a key for us last night. I thought defensively and offensively played tremendous. And uh, Mike Polly caught fire uh, the second half, and uh, I mean he he you know, he's one of those if he gets if he gets it going, I mean it, it's fun to watch. And last night was one of those nights that uh, you know it was just he was on, and, and it, there was you know he he thinks he's going to make every shot, which is great. I mean he and he'll shoot it deep. Certainly is a an interesting squad with with weapons and and I feel like to some degree maybe that four and three start allowed you to fly a little under the radar. Granted, being ranked eleventh right now, that's a a mute point. Um, but when you look at what you guys have accomplished, is there pressure 
uh, to match what the football team did uh, just a few months ago and win a national title, or or is this just all gravy at this point? Well, I I don't think so. I mean, I, I think our kids, you know, we're we're experienced. We have experienced kids. I think our seniors, uh, our captains, I think are tremendous. They lead our our uh, team. Uh, we rely heavily on them. Uh, you know, I think Aiden Chang, at a point guard, has done a tremendous job all season for us. And like I said, with the addition of Matt Helwick uh, into our lineup, uh, things have have gone our way. And uh, you know, I I don't know if we really have ever talked about that. And, and it may be in the back of their minds, but uh, nobody's ever said anything. We're just we're just happy to be where we're at right now. We're looking forward to our challenge on uh, Friday, and it's going to be a huge challenge. But uh, like I said, we're we're just going to have to prepare the best we can, and and uh, hope that's good enough. Sure. Well, Todd, I appreciate the time. Really great to chat with you about your squad and fascinating run, and congratulations on what you've done so far, and good luck the rest of the way. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? Uh, no, Dave, I appreciate it. I really am. And like I said, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, Friday and, and uh, looking forward to this week's practice. We're continuing to play, and that, that's the main thing at this point. Awesome. Well, take care. Enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Dave. Absolutely. Todd Raritan joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Congratulations to his team. Not only not knocking off the defending national champs, which he pointed out they lost to in game one of the season all the way back there on, on November 12th, um, but also you know they're getting a chance to host here. They're into the third round. They'll have Washington. And remember, the winners of this one round this weekend, Friday and or, or Friday or Saturday games, half the bracket is Friday, half the bracket is Saturday, move on to Fort Wayne. For the quarterfinals and semifinals, along with the All-Star game, that is coming up the following weekend, and then obviously the championship game two weeks later in Atlanta. And a reminder, we will talk more about the final week or that weekend in Fort Wayne with Pat Cunningham coming up on Thursday's show, especially about the pending All-Star game. We'll take another break. When we come back, we will keep rolling along. we got lots to jam into this show tonight. Uh, Frank Rossi was at Springfield, and he chats with a couple of the guys at Hobart about their thrilling victories, especially over Springfield. That's a still ahead. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I play because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. 
That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I used to never really talk. Ever. I was scared and shy. It was hard to look at people's faces. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. That's what happens when you're not paying attention. Sorry about that, folks. Welcome back to Hoopsville. As we continue along, I'm told that maybe our audio and video is out of sync. I don't know why. It's, it's, all, it's fine on my end, so I can't explain why it might be out of sync on your end, but that just adds to the fun of our show. All right, continuing on, talking about men's basketball. Hobart had a thrilling weekend, to say the least, on the men's side in Springfield. Uh, as they got the job done in thrilling fashion, really, in both games. They had to hold off St. Joseph of Connecticut, 78-74, as the Blue Jays came at them pretty hard. But then Springfield was their next opponent in the next round, and obviously the home fans were thrilling or urging Springfield to make a run. Hobart had to hold on to that one, 62-61. Our Frank Rossi we sent out to uh, get a sense of how this all came together, and he got a chance to talk to a couple of players or a couple of individuals. We'll start with his conversation with sophomore Jackson Mechanic. Feeling a little short here with a guy they call Moose, Jackson yeah. Mechanic. Jackson, 
there were some moments of highs and lows for you throughout this game. Obviously, the highs toward the end where uh, you were picking up some points. There was one play where there's three seconds left in the shot clock, and you didn't recognize they had changed the shot clock back to three. You sort of made up for it. It's like you took it back on your shoulders from that point forward to win the game. Take us through the last, let's say, about four or five minutes of the second half. Yeah, so the last play I remember is that, that shot clock violation we had. Um, we drew up an out-of-bounds play where I get more of a post-ISO, and I hadn't looked back at the shot clock. It still was at, like, 20-something last time I looked, and it was at 3, and just a mental error by me and uh, something I try not to do a lot. And then I also remember uh, Springfield drew up a play, and they got a backdoor, and they backdoored me, and I bit for it, and they got an and one. Um, and so those were the lows for the game, but, you know, we try and bounce back. Coach Steph always has our back, and he's always got confidence in us, and I just was able to make, make home plays down the end, and my teammates set me up well, and I just had to finish them off. Well, after a double-double last night, you get 22-9 and nine tonight, and so you're a leading scorer for your team. I mean, it, it feels like throughout the, the weekend, I mean, it, it seems like you're blasting through your averages uh, in it, but that you especially took it on your shoulders even through the entire weekend and not just the last five minutes of that game to really push this team forward. Why? What, what made this weekend so different for you? You know, especially today, um, so Hobart hasn't been to the uh, Sweet 16 in our, in our basketball program's history. And um, I just feel like I'm prepared to go back to back. I feel like I work very hard in the summer. I spend a lot of time in the weight room, even in season, to prepare my body to take the grind. And I just feel like as the games go on and the weekends go on, I'm in better shape at the end of the game. And I feel like that my physicality can wear people down. So I really thought I was able to take advantage of that at the end as they might have started to have a little fatigue and I felt fresh and ready to go. Take me through the uh, last shot as uh, Messino puts it up there. Uh, what was going through your mind? Um, I, was, I just wanted to win. But uh, we drew up a play. Um, we actually had a play for Tucker, Tucker Lesko coming off the screen. But uh, Coach Steph said right there on the timeout, he said to Dan, um, if you have a lane, if you get an angle, feel free to go all the way. And I was waiting for a dump off. And I saw it go up, and it was like one of those times when, when like time just slows down and you see the ball floating up. But uh, I was pretty confident that, that Dan was going to make that because I've seen how much time he puts into his game, and he really loves that floater, especially to his right hand. And so I was pretty confident that was going in. Finally, uh, your relationship with Coach Thompson. Uh, we were talking to, with Dan about kind of the buildup throughout the last year or so, or last season, uh, now that he's the head coach. Seems to put a lot of trust and faith in you, even in the low times. Tell us about your relationship. You know, Coach Steph, the beginning of the year, I was struggling a little bit. And um, he always had confidence in me. And he always holds me accountable. Um, I feel like maybe in the past couple of years, we've had some stars on our team. And um, our coaches haven't, I just haven't had the ability to hold them accountable and, and keep them pushing and make them work in practice as, as well. Um, but Coach Steph stepped up and even when I, I got in the starting lineup and even when I started really um, just scoring a lot, doing really well, getting a bunch of statistical numbers that uh, aren't that important but they look nice, he holds me accountable. And sometimes people are kicking me, uh, kicking me around in practice and he gets on me, he wants me to get better every day. But at the same time, I love him. He's a, he's a great coach. I couldn't ask for anything more from him. Last word to you, anybody you want to give a shout out to or any other thoughts you want to share with folks? I want to just give a shout out to my parents. You know, this is amazing. I didn't really know if we'd be here ever in my life going to Sweet 16. And my whole childhood, they, they spent a lot of money and drove me around to go to AAU tournaments, go to, just go to high school games. And I also want to shout out my high school coach, Brad Seaman is his name. He coaches at the Kingsford Oxford School. And he still trains me all summer long, and he really got me ready to go this year. So big shout out to him. Good luck the rest of the way, my friend. Thank you.
thank uh, Frank Rossi for that. Uh, he wasn't done, though. He talked to the head coach, too. Great story with that, but the head coach is always fun to hear from as well. Frank sat down with the first-year head coach at Hobart about how they pulled this one off as well. Coach, congratulations, 62-61 victory. Let's take it from the down 13 point, though, and build it up from there. What did you say to your team down 13 with this place was rocking in favor of uh, Springfield with that crowd they had? What did you do to keep their focus alive enough to come back as fast as they did, especially with that 9-0 run? I tried to keep my tone pretty calm in the, in the huddle. Um, Coach Pisnick mentioned that, and I remember reflecting on my playing career, playing for Coach Near. That was kind of one of his strengths. He always stayed even keel, so I tried to give that energy. Just so when I went into the huddle, uh, our guys weren't you know tight or tense or anything like that. I really discussed with them, we got to chip away at one possession at a time. Um, and I knew we needed to get the ball into Tucker Lesko's hands a little bit, so I tried to make him get some plays, and he made some big-time shots, which he's been doing all year. So that was kind of my, my tone for how I tried to get us to chip away in that lead. Tucker got two threes during that stretch of uh, the run. Uh, but also, uh, Jax Mechanic, who had some ups and downs uh, throughout this game, you seem to put a lot of trust in him uh, throughout the weekend, not just tonight. Tell us about him and his maturation as a player to get to this point. He's continued to get better all year. And uh, the one thing I like is that his teammates are gaining more trust. They're gaining more confidence. They see that when he gets the ball, it makes the game easier on them. You know, Dan Messino, a lot of our perimeter guys are getting some easier assists. Uh, even our other bigs are doing it. But Jackson's been doing a better job of getting the ball kicked back out, too. So as for him, he's been able to facilitate the game a little bit. Um, he's embodied that moose mentality. His nickname's Moose. Everyone calls him it. And he's tough to stop down the paint. And in the second half, he was able to get into a nice rhythm, get to the free throw line and finish in baskets. You brought up Dan Messino. Can't uh, not talk about the last shot. 7.2 seconds left. You drew it up. It's what they call the situational, according to Dan, uh, that you make them run through. And the situation here was down one. Uh, seven seconds left. This was a design play all the way? Yeah, we just knew we tried to get him on the run there, uh, create some space for him to attack downhill. I knew Springfield was not going to want to foul because they were in the penalty, so Dan was able to get a crack to the basket, uh, get a nice little soft touch on the glass, and he was able to make the basket. But uh, it's good to see the things that you practice, the habits that you build, be able to kind of come through in the clutch moments. What's next here? I, I mean, obviously we've got more games to play, but uh, when do you stop celebrating and start uh, focusing a little bit? We get back to campus. We're going to appreciate this. Uh, Monday, I think that's when we'll start shifting our attention, kind of understand where we're playing, who we're playing, and uh, really start to dive back into the scout. I think this week you only have one game, so it's uh, a little bit more unique. And I think we can give a little more energy to that, but we want to head back to campus and soak this in with our campus community. Uh, we got a lot of parents here, so we want to appreciate these moments, man. This is a once-in-a-lifetime moment for everyone here. Speaking of the community of uh, the Hobart William Smith uh, Colleges, uh, you were talking about all the text messages last night and everything else. What has the reaction been even before this tonight? Everyone was so pumped uh, just to see the resiliency of this group. I know it was a lot of hype around the Coach Calhoun matchup yesterday, but our players won the game. Uh, they were able to execute throughout the course of the game. And then just to see our alums who have graduated 20, 30 years ago send emails, um, professors on campus, other coaches, just to send a great text and say, hey, keep going, we're rooting for you. Uh, that's what HWS is about. We're a small liberal arts college where everyone's interconnected, has each other's back. So uh, I was pumped to see all that support, and I bet you it's going to be double today. Indeed. Uh, Hoopsville, uh, assuming this is going to show up on Hoopsville on Sunday night, uh, we always give uh, the guests the last word. Anybody want to say hi to or anything else? Coach, it's all yours. I want to say uh, hello to my mom. She's the one that got me here. I love her. Hello to HWS. 
and uh, I want to credit my staff. They've done an unbelievable job of getting us here, and uh, we're trying to keep every day chipping away at getting better. A uh, veteran guy like Coach Pisnick's done an unbelievable job, and then Sean Smiley's been hungry since day one to keep getting us better. So all those people deserve the credit for us being here. 62-61, Hobart advances for the first time to the Sweet 16 of Division Three men's basketball. Congratulations, Thank sir. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thanks. Pretty cool to hear from Coach there, and, and we should point out, he's also a previous All-American. Uh, not too shabby there at Hobart. They seem to get a good pick there after a couple of years of, of, of coaches coming and going, and good coaches. Hobart's had some pretty darn good coaches. Uh, good to see what they pulled off there. Really impressive. Thanks to Frank Rossi for getting that for us. I know we got another interview that we put on our uh, D3Hoops.com page for the recap last night. He had the game of the week last on Saturday night. I had the game of the night. On Friday night, uh, with Penn State beating um, Penn State Harrisburg, beating Johns Hopkins, seeing we were at the right places at the right times for those games. Not sure where I'm headed this weekend. Not even sure if Frank will be out there or not. But fun to have Frank in the basketball side of things as we cross over for tournaments, as I do with football on occasion as well. We'll take another break. When we come back, we'll keep rolling along. Up next, we'll talk to Brockport men's basketball coach Greg Dunn about his team's dance to the. Uh, well, we'll call it the Sweet 16 officially. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. 
being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue to roll along, if you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. That's Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. You can also join us on our Facebook chat, Facebook.com slash D3Hoopsville, where we're simulcasting the show, or on YouTube at YouTube.com slash D3Hoopsville. That's where we're simulcasting the show as well. Um, I realize we may have a sync issue. Apparently, the first segment of the show went fine, and then it's out of sync. I don't know why, because it's perfectly in sync here, but I apologize for any of you who may be inconvenienced by that, and we will try and figure well, Honestly, I'm not sure if I can figure it out, but we'll, we'll work on it, as it were. Um, all right, so sp still talking men's basketball. If you look at Brockport, they are on a 19-game winning streak. They haven't lost since January 10th against SUNY Potsdam. It was the second of or the second loss in three games for them, though death dates all the way back to the Daytona trip on December 16th. And their third loss was back at the beginning of the season against Mooresville State. In other words, Brockport playing really well. A little bit different than they were in the tournament two years ago when they were unceremoniously punted in the first round by MIT. They are doing very well this season as a defeated Coast Guard 92-86. Coast Guard's Cinderella Slipper was removed by Brockport. And then they ended Middlebury's season, 84-81. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, the head coach. It's Greg Dunn. And, Coach, first and foremost, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. And congratulations on what has been certainly a spectacular start to this uh, tournament for you guys. Dave, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, excited to chat with you tonight. Again, 19-game winning streak for you guys, a team that maybe was a little bit under the radar thanks to the heroics of Potsdam this season. At one point, Cortland looked really good. Of course, Oswego had a lot of eyes on them early in the year. Uh, was this what you expected from this team, to have you know this much success and be this deep in the tournament uh, this, this season? Well, you know, 19-game winning streak, Dave, yeah, I'd be lying to you if I said that, that you know any coach goes into it and thinks that that's going to happen. Um, where we're at right now, um, we had high expectations. We knew we had some good new pieces. Uh, we had Tyler Collins coming back from a red shirt year. Um, you know, obviously Justin Summers in the middle, in my opinion, one of the better players in the country. So we, we thought we had a really balanced, deep group. And, uh, you know, Sweet 16, you, you know, you can't 
to start a year, you can't say, hey, we're going to get to a Sweet 16, but we thought we had enough pieces to make a good run. Yeah, of course, being at home has been pretty good, too. You guys, I think, are 15-0 and at home this season. That is certainly part and parcel for all of this. What makes it so special there at, at the uh, big house? Yeah, you know, we, we've had great fan support this year. I, I think a little bit due to a lot of our games were played when when we weren't over break, right? So we started to go on a nice little run, and we, we had a great game against Potsdam on Friday night that, that on a Friday night that went down to the wire. Uh, could have went either way up until they uh, up until the last shot, right? So I think that gave our fans and our students a little bit of a glimpse in, in the way we play, and I think everybody really enjoyed that night, and it kind of just snowballed from there. And uh, the support from the community um, and our fans has been tremendous. It's a, it's a tough place to play. When you look at what this conference brought to the table for you guys this season, um how much did it get you guys ready? We always know the SUNYAC is a battle, but it, again, as I mentioned earlier, there were eyes on Oswego earlier in the season. Cortland looked like it made a splash at one point. Then Potsdam kind of emerged. We haven't been talking about Potsdam all that much. This is after Plattsburgh had a couple of years and obviously was ex- not expected to necessarily be challenging at the top. How much does that prepare you for not only a season like this, but for an, a, a situation like this? Yeah, it's, you know, uh, in the SUNYAC, New York's a big state, as you know, Dave. A lot of travel, back-to-back games. You know, you play on Friday night and you get on a bus and you, you go three hours to play at, you know, 4 o'clock the next day on Saturday. So the travel's a grind in our league. And, you know, we uh, in the four teams that you just mentioned, uh, you know, I, I may be a little bit biased saying this, but I think the four teams that we just played are NCAA tournament caliber teams. Now, we only got one team in this year with us, but, you know, every night, you know, if we had to play Cortland, Oswego, Potsdam, uh, Oneonta, complete battles this year with, with really high-level kids. When you look back at what has been working so well or what wasn't working maybe in December and early January, what has changed with this unit that has got you not only clicking off 19 straight wins, which included, by the way, two overtimes in a row late in the season, but got, has gotten you to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, I'm not sure how much it's been talked on, talked about on the national level, but you know, regionally everybody knows that Justin Summers went down with a with a torn MCL, and that happened um, shortly after our our Potsdam loss. And Justin was a preseason All American, two time first team All Suniac guy, um, one of the top players in the country. And at the time, we thought he went out for the year, um, but. Something just happened then. We just really gelled. We just said, you know what? I know we lost Justin for, for a short time, but we're going to come together. And I had great senior leaders that did that. And then Justin on the bench, you know, I said, Justin, listen, if you're going to be out for the rest of the year, um, let people remember what a fantastic leader you have been for the program and be a coach and a supporter from the bench. And the way that he led and just didn't put his head down and and it, it just he willed us to win from the bench, and you know obviously we were lucky enough to get him back and he's coming off the bench for us now and to to bring a piece like Justin Summers off the bench has just uh, has made us that much tougher to beat. Yeah, it certainly is fascinating to watch when we look at your team statistically, and obviously that's the easiest from afar. Sometimes we see what you guys bring to the table in terms of scoring. You got 15 and eight, 15.8 points a game from Justin Summers. 
Uh, Jahidi Wallace is bringing in um, 14 points a game, 12-plus, almost 13 from Tyler Collins, 12 points from Monty Stroman, and, and then 8.9 from Devontae Hagens and 8 points from Monty Stroman. Um, oh, Stroman's in there twice. I apologize. I misspoke there. Um, but when you look at rebounding, too, the, the, a lot of these guys are in the mix there in what they do. Hagen's leading the way. What is what is that box score not telling us, or what is it alluding to, maybe, that could, you could give us a little bit better understanding of? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the first three guys you mentioned, Summers, Wallace, and, and Collins in particular, um, you know, if those guys on different teams could average 25 points a game, each one of them, um, at, any, at any night they can go off for 25, 30, um, but we're just really balanced. We, we share the ball. Um, we've done an excellent job of sharing the ball, and we've done an even better job of rebounding the ball on the offensive glass. We're, we're not particularly tall, but we're very long and we're athletic. And, you know, you got a bunch of six, five, four, six, five guys out there that, that really just have a knack of, uh, of getting to the offensive glass. And, um, yeah, it's been, you know, I, I would have to think we're a pretty tough team to scout and prepare for because, you know, we're always putting five guys on the floor right now that can score the ball. You're, this is just the third tournament, if memory, if if my notes are right, uh, that you've coached in at Brockport. I don't remember how far you guys have gotten. We mentioned a couple, you know, a couple of years ago it was the first round, and that was it. Uh, but it's the sixth time in program history that this program has gotten this far. In that sense, does it still feel a little bit new or uncharted territory, or do you guys feel somewhat comfortable? I think we're comfortable. Um, th- yeah, this is uh, this is the fourth time that I've been to the tournament, but it is the first time I've won a game in the tournament. So, ah. you know, for for me and and our staff to kind of get that monkey off our back was great. Um, but yeah, we were you know it's you know we we went around about these week this week exactly the same as we did going into SUNYAC Championship Week. Nothing's changed. Our guys, you know, the locker room felt good. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a pretty confident team and, and an older team that, that, that's pretty experienced. Talking with Greg Dunn here, uh, despite what apparently my graphic is showing, I am here, by the way, uh, still talking to Coach. <laughs> Remove my webcam. I just put it back up. Um, Coach, when you look at what you've got ahead of you, I know it's somewhat new. You, you, you've only had about 24 hours after the Middlebury win. Um, you do have Tufts ahead of you, so it's back-to-back NESCAC uh, teams. Uh, and that experience, as it were, can you take anything from the Middlebury game, or do you have to go in kind of eyes open and understand that Tufts is a different unit? Yeah, different unit. Um, but you know, obviously, you know that, that you said, Dave. And if you're following Division Three basketball, you know the NESCAC is one of, one of the top te- top leagues in the country. So you know, we just played a, a really, really good Middlebury team, and uh, you know, moving on to a Tufts team that won the uh, that won the NESCAC tournament. So. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of things about them. My cousin actually played on the women's basketball team there in the uh, in the early 2000s. So I've been to Tufts, uh, great place, um, and uh, I've seen them a little bit on film now too. And uh, they're a tough matchup, no doubt. When you go into this with one game to prepare, it's obviously a lot easier. But do you going to do anything different with practices ahead of this one game since you don't have the grind of two, or is it you know the usual? As far as our players are concerned, the usual, you know, obviously going into last week, you know, yeah, we were, we were prepping hard for Coast Guard and only talking about Coast Guard to our players, but, you know, we did have to prepare for two other teams just in case we were lucky enough to get through the first one. 
you know, th- this week it, it, it is nice to just be able to go and focus on one team, um, you know, one set of players and just uh, see what they do well and see what we think we need to do to, uh, to give ourselves a, a good chance to win the ballgame. Well, Greg, it's it's great to chat with you and catch up. Um, I know being at home is going to be big. I, I got to wonder, this is the time of year we start worrying about spring breaks and whether they affect the crowd, along, among other things, like we discussed at the top of our show. Um, how's, how do you guys expect that place to be this weekend? Well, you know, we, we last night in the press conference, I was asked the same question, and, and we will be on spring break, and I offered up, I offered up to, to pay the uh, change fees on people's flights home oh no uh, to, to keep them around no but um so we are on break so that that's uh that's you know that's a little bit unfortunate but again i i do think that that our fans are, are really enjoying this ride with us and, and i i would not be surprised to keep to, to see a bunch of students sticking around to, to check it out this weekend how many have come to you about the change fees and how much money are you already out not enough of them paying attention to the press conference, Dave. <laughs> you might have found the perfect place not to mention it. Oh, wait, you just mentioned it here. <laughs> Good luck. Greg, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks for chatting with us. It's fun to see you guys doing so well. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? No, Dave, I'm just really excited you had me on. Um, you know, Last night I was with a couple of fans of the show. Um, one of your friends, Derek uh, D-Train Cahill, <laughs> and my and my sister, Kelly Dunn, my little sister, Kelly Dunn, and I said, well, maybe I'll get on Hoopsville now. We made a Sweet 16. Both of you guys have been on multiple times. So I just appreciate you guys uh, giving me a chance to come on and talk some Brockport hoops and uh, and love everything you guys do for Division Three basketball. It's, uh, love watching the show. Well, thanks for agreeing to come on the show. Half of it's that, and the other half is me. So I appreciate it very much so. Uh, thanks so much. Good luck. Have fun. We'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. Greg Dunn joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Fun to have him on. Uh, he's hanging out with a couple of, of good friends of the show. I know them well. Uh, thanks for them uh, doing it. 19-game winning streak. Uh, if they beat Tufts, it's 20. I, listen, I don't, I don't think any game is easier than another. I think Penn State-Harrisburg certainly proved that on the men's side. And Endicott, Bethany Lutheran certainly showed that on the women's side that anybody can win. Um, and, and certainly there's more examples, um, but you know, Brockport being at home, I think you got to give them a little bit of love and attention that with that, and we'll see how it plays out. Um, they've got that game. It's a four o'clock game, Eastern time, that game on Saturday against Tufts. We'll take another break. When we come back, we'll switch gears, talk women's basketball. We'll start with trying Andy Rang will come on and then follow it up after that. Williams is Pat Manning will join us. And then Bob and Pat will, uh, Bob and Pat. Sorry, we just gave Pat Coleman a heart attack. Bob and Ryan will join us. Maybe Pat will join us too. Who knows? Give us their takes on the opening weekend. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. Plenty more ahead.
College has given me the flexibility to pursue my passions and my interests, and I've recreated my identity for myself aside from just being an athlete. My greatest personal discovery has been that I am capable of doing things that I didn't know I was capable of doing. To be able to study what I wanted to and continue to play the sport I love, all of those things came together very nicely in one package in Division Three. Cheer for the stumbles. The heat should have had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. It's on us. It's on all of us and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I coined my definition of success in 1934. My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. It's like reputation and character. Reputation is what others perceive you to be. Character is what you are. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville on this Sunday evening. It has been a jam-packed show. We will recap our coverage of of COVID-19 coronavirus and how it's affected Division Three teams, not only this past weekend, but moving forward uh, a little bit later in the program. Also, Ryan and um, Bob have said they'll come on the show and talk about their reactions to the season. Um, who knows? We may even hear from others of our characters. I did get a question from our fa fans at Yeshiva asking, how do you think Randolph-Macon will fare against the Yeshiva's motion offense? I think Randolph-Macon is a similar team to Johns Hopkins, 
Granted, we didn't see Yeshiva play Johns Hopkins. But in my opinion, um, listen, Randolph-Macon's a very good team. Um, but I think Yeshiva's size may cause a problem. I also think that motion offense is extremely difficult to defend. Now, Randolph-Macon's got a whole week to look at two videos from this weekend. Well, so does Yeshiva. Um, I'm fascinated to see how that all plays out. I should point out, I did not get a chance to get to this. Per Yeshiva, and we'll get to that, we do have an update on what they are doing uh, this week as well. We'll get to that update in a bit. Let's switch gears, talk women's basketball. Uh, Trine women's basketball, uh, not too shabby a weekend for Trine. Uh, they uh, went to Whitewater and came out of the uh, Class 5 Rapids pretty darn well. They beat Benedictine 65 37 and then knocked off Redlands, who had knocked off Whitewater in, I don't think, a surprising result. Some of you may have heard, especially on the NCAA bracket, I said that was a really good game for the Redlands to kind of prove themselves, but trying then unceremoniously sent them back to the L.A. 69-49. Of course, Redlands is actually outside of L.A., uh, just to be clear, uh, to the east. But anyway, trying with a, a victory, moves on, and they will be heading, for now, to Bowdoin, Maine. I'm not trying to elude anything, folks. I'm being a little bit facetious. But joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach of the Trine Thunder. It's Andy Rang from the 23rd ranked squad. Coach, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time. Congratulations. And if you got time, I suggest you go visit L.L. Bean. But nonetheless, how you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm, I'm very well, Dave. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it so much. Absolutely. I say everybody who goes to visit uh, that part of Maine should visit L.L. Bean. And I have gathered on good authority that NYU at least had some people who took me up on that. You are headed to Maine. I, I suspect you'll fly into Portland, but who knows? You're heading to Bowdoin. But more importantly, you were just in Wisconsin. What was, what was more surprising to you? The fact that you guys were able to get past the Benedictine squad 65-37 or that you, got, that you were taking on Redlands and beat them by 20? Um, I think both were, were, were a little bit of surprise. And, you know, Benedictine is a very good basketball team, and they they – uh, create a lot of problems for us um, just with their size and inside and things like that. Um, just because, you know, right now we're down a starter, uh, Shea Herbert, one of our starting forwards, six foot, has got a little bit of a knee injury right now. Hopefully we can get her back and play some minutes over this weekend, but we haven't had her here uh, the last three games. And so we, we're been, we've been a little bit small. So uh, the height for, from, from Benedictine was uh, a real, uh, a real going to be a real challenge for us. Uh, but I thought we did a really good job with game planning. My staff did a great job preparing, and uh, we we were able to double down a few here and there, and and do some different things against them. And um, and then you know Redlands, uh, and if we would have played Whitewater, been the same thing. They're, they would have just tried to pound it inside on us. So um, the matchup against Redlands, I thought, was a little bit better for us in that sense. But they created different problems because they got two really good guards uh, that can really score the basketball. So. Uh, my team was really focused and really locked in, and, and uh, we got it done, uh, obviously, on the defensive end because that's what we hang our hat on. Well, when you hold teams to 30-some-odd points in the national championship tournament, you're certainly getting it done, and you're doing well there. Um, I want to look at the whole season for a moment. You guys started 5-3 and three on the campaign with a loss to Baldwin-Wallace being your third in mid-December, your other two being to Chicago and the other one to Ohio Wesley, and two of those three in the NCAA tournament, and by the time you got done with the opening um, start to the season, the, the the holiday part, you know, the non-conference affair, you guys were eight and three, 
interesting enough, had played a couple games at Hope uh, to finish things off against Denison and Hanover. Since then, you're undefeated if you don't play Hope. Uh, <laughs> Hope tripped you guys up three times, one by seven, one by seven, one by four. What's more remar- uh, remarkable is you, you held them to 58 or 59 points in all three games. Very consistent. Tell us a little bit about the season, though, from, from your side of things, because it really was a tale of two sides. It was your non-conference affair where you're eight and three, and then your conference affair, and I and seriously, without hope, you're undefeated. Yeah, th- this was a different team, obviously, Dave. With you know, we we graduated some really good players um, from from last year's team, and you know, obviously, all American Brandy Dawson and, and all region player and Cassie Williams, and so we knew going in, you know, uh, we had two starters back. We weren't sure how everything was going to gel. I mean, we had some, you know, a uh, couple players that had gotten some time. But we also had to get some newcomers in, in there as well. So I think the first part of the season, we were just kind of feeling each other out and feeling how, how, how as a staff, we were going to coach this team. And, and uh, as we got, got, got forward, I, I felt really comfortable. Even though we lost those games against Chicago and Baldwin Wallace, it just gets you ready for when you go in conference play, especially against Hope. Um, so we were excited about playing. You know, and then we played Ohio Northern at home. We just wanted to up our schedule a little bit and, and, and be able to – to uh, experience some games like that going into conference season, and and and, and not only was Hope tough, you know, Albion had a great season this way. We're twenty-one and five, so they had a great season, and, and Mark's doing a great job at Calvin. They're 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 on their way back a little bit, but you know, Hope it's it's, it's a whole different animal. Uh, Dave, you've been there when you go to the DeVos Field House and there's three thousand people standing there. You know, it's you yell them, "Let's go, Hope!" It's uh, it, you got to grow up pretty quick, and I felt like our like our kids. Uh, really grew up in that set in that setting and those games against them and got us really prepared for what we're going to face here in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we should point out you're in technically your second season with the program. The third, uh, a couple seasons back, you're the interim for part of it. After well, we all know if you follow Division Three, we don't know rehash that. But you've also been an associate, so you've been with this program a long time, but at the head of it for a couple of years. Where does this team stack up? You talk about all the great that left after last year, this team, though, seems to be at least as good, if not maybe a little bit better, or is it you cannot compare? Uh, I think it's two, it's two really different teams. I think one, one catalyst is Katie Steers. Um, Katie is our senior. Uh, she is the piston that drives our engine, both uh, offensively and defensively. Um, and she's been through the wars, and she, she knows exactly. Uh, she's just taken the leadership role. And the other girls have really fed off her, and they understand what it takes um, to be a trying basketball player, and, and what we stand for, and what what we believe in as a as a program. And I think all those girls have just bought into that. Um, this team is a little different in the sense that uh, defensively, I think we're, we're pretty pretty good, obviously uh, at that end of. The, but we we've really prided ourselves. This team, in a sense, has got some. Uh, it's every night. It seems like one player. We'll, we'll have a big night. It's just everybody kind of picks each other up. Last year, with Brand, we had a player that we can go to in Brandy, you know, an All-American, and Cassie had some big games too, and, and we had some really good role players. So this team is a little different that every night it just seems like someone steps up, but the constant has always been our defense, and it always will be our defense. Well, you talk about the defense. You're ninth in the country in field goal percentage at 31.8%. You're second in the country in, in 
in scoring defense, only allowing 46.2%. You're eighth in scoring margin at 20-plus points per game, 16th in turnovers per game. In other words, you don't turn it over all that much. We could certainly dive into some other ones there as well, but those numbers are the ones that jumped out at me. Obviously, defense in some teams leads to offense, but you guys are also scoring 20-plus points a game over your opponents. Has hope maybe hidden you from all of us? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think a little bit. I mean, it, it doesn't bother us as a program. It doesn't bother me as a, as a coach to, to fly under the radar. It really doesn't. Um, I think last year was, was, was a great year. But, the, you know, we, all year long we've been, I've been telling this group, you've got to write your own story. You've got to write your own story. And they have definitely written their own story. And, and uh, I'm just really proud of how, how well uh, they have taken it and how they've just continued to, to get better every day, uh, just playing on the defensive end. And then, I, and then a lot of that, like, like you said, leads to, to offense and, and gets us going. And, uh, you know, middle of the season, we had a little bit of lull shooting the basketball, which I think everybody does every once in a while. But then we got out of that. And, uh, but, you know, when you got to play Hope, 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 just creates different problems in itself um, playing them. But, um, but I, I really I enjoy the atmosphere of going up there and playing. And like I said, you know, we're going to go play Bowden, who's very, very good. Um, but that atmosphere probably there won't hopefully intimidate my girls because we've been in it like two of the last three weekends. We've been at Hope. So um, that atmosphere, I think, is going to help us this weekend. Yeah, you'll be heading to Morrell Gymnasium there in Brunswick, Maine, uh, for that game, uh, quickly, you got you mentioned your players certainly, but you've got three. We're going to argue in double figures since two of them are just a smidge under ten points a game. But you don't need that offense to really click. But you have a lot of players we should point out that are scoring because if you're putting it sixty-eight points, and three players are in double figures, well, half the points have got to be coming from some from everywhere else. Yeah, we got we have a great a great group of kids coming off the bench and. And and the, the the great thing about this team, Dave, is that we're young, and uh, you know, right now with that with Shea being out, you know, we're starting one senior, um, uh, three south, sophomores, and a freshman right now, um, and every one of them, it just seems like they know the role and they contribute the way the way they need to contribute on, on a given night, and so it's you know it's Kelsey Taylor, it's you know it's uh, Rachel Stewart off the bench, you know. Uh, Kayla Wildman's, you know, knocking down shots one night, and then Tara Benevich is the, ne- the next night. So it's just every night it just seems like some gr- some girl just steps up when we need them to step up, and that's the way it's been all year long. Well, Andy, I'd love to tie it with you more, but uh, there's a dean of women's basketball sitting ready to cut get with us too, <laughs> and I, I don't want to keep Pat waiting any longer. Um, but in the meantime, I, I congratulate you guys on on what you've done so far. And obviously a big test ahead this weekend with Bowden and maybe whoever else is on the other side. But nonetheless, congratulations. As always, though, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? Uh, I just I appreciate uh, you having me on and being able to talk about my team because I'm just really proud of them and how hard they've worked and my staff and everybody. And uh, we're just looking, looking really looking forward to the uh, challenge ahead of us with Bowden. By the way, Andy, you are a you are a demonstrative man. They sent me a wonderful picture. I couldn't resist using. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, I, there's sometimes I get a little animated, you know. <laughs> so, 
Uh, but it was worth, you know, it was exciting last night for sure. So. Absolutely, it was worth it. Well, thanks for the time. As I said, good luck. Enjoy it if you need. LL, save some time for LL Bean. It's worth it. I'm telling you. Uh, okay. But focus on the games, obviously. <laughs> All right, we will. Thanks, Dave. So Take much. care. Andy yeah, Rang joining us here from Trine, the number 23-ranked women's basketball team. Again, they've got Bowden coming up on Friday. Um, TBA on the time right now, but you can bet that'll be the second game of the series there uh, in Brunswick, Maine. The other one will be Oglethorpe Whitman. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks, we got six flights on the women's side because some things just broke that way. Just crazy. We'll take a break. When we come back, as I mentioned, Williams Pat Manning will join us to talk about her team's, I would say, surprising run to the second weekend themselves. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More hoops will ahead. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA.
great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I just wanted to get good grades and to do well. But it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that. And it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue to roll along, we got a little bit behind on the show due to all our coverage of, of COVID-19 and cor uh, coronavirus at the top of the show. We will recap that after the uh, when we start the next segment, recap it, add some information that we've had that we just haven't had time to get in, um, and we will probably be hearing from um, Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott at least. Maybe Pat Coleman makes a return. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out as we continue on. Um, to be honest, it's been a while since I've had one of my favorite guests on this show, one who has certainly supported this show to no end and gotten us in a relationship with the WBCA that I will be always indebted to. Patricia Manning is what her formal name is, but all of us in Division Three know her as Pat Manning, and uh, she has given us the perfect excuse to have her on the show. It's because her team obviously is doing well in the NCAA tournament. They are on to the second round of the NCAA tournament. I would say maybe as a surprise, but it also shows you just how good the NESCAC has gotten in women's basketball. It's fun to see the Eves back in the tournament. It's fun to see the Eves in the second weekend, mainly because I'm biased towards Pat Manning. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the aforementioned Pat Manning. And Coach, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, Dave, thanks so much for having me. So it's great to have be able to talk to you again about uh, our team. Yes. I was on last year with you about the All-Star game, and that was awesome, but it's just great to be able to talk about the East. I agree. I've been dying for an excuse, and I kept watching you guys all season. I thought to myself, you know, this team's doing pretty well, but there's so many teams to talk to. But you're 20-8, and eight, and after a little bit of a rough stretch in the middle of the NESCAC and an occasional mm -hmm. loss here and there, did you guys think, not only that you would qualify for the tournament, but that you would be able to get two wins under your belt this season. Oh, it, it's, it's been an incredible run. I really like this team. Um, yeah. I mean, they believed it was our focus all year has been um, just one game at a time. And to my players credit, they never looked ahead. You know, it was just let's focus on who's in front of us and not the big picture, just sort of one at a time. And, um, and that really paid off. And even this weekend, you know, none of those kids have competed in the NCAA tournament because it's been a five-year gap. So um, I'm just so proud of how they handled it. You know, they didn't get overwhelmed by just being there. They just approached this game, our game with Albright on Friday, as they did any other game. And it paid off. And same thing next day with Ithaca. I think they were a little nervous, just a little bit of nerves to start the game. But then once the game got going, it was just, Let's be us and just do our thing and um, got it done. Yeah, you got the win for starters over Albright, who's had a tremendous season under, under Coach Luck. And, you know, nothing against you guys, but I thought, oh, that's, that's a tough matchup maybe. But 
is is Albright similar to whoever else you might play in the NESCAC? Not really. They're, they were kind of different. Um, I mean, we do have a few teams that may play a little bit of that style, but, you know, they have um, just a real explosive uh, player. You know, I mean, that, and I'm spacing out now on her name. I shouldn't be doing that. I know her as number 32, um, who's averaging <laughs> 22 points a game. Um, I have all these players running through my head. But um, we hadn't seen a player like that. So we had we really worked all week on a very specific game plan, and I'm just thrilled with how we executed. It was um, just amazing that we, Deja Terrell, that's her name. Sorry, I don't want to leave yes. her name out. Deja um, Terrell. Yeah, she's really good. Uh, so you know, we we had to focus on stopping a player like that that we hadn't seen. Um, that no one in NESCAC plays like that. So. And then they also have, you know, their surrounding players are really good. So it was, um, our kids were locked in for the scout. I think that was one of the most exciting wins we've had because, you know, when you actually put put a game plan together and, and they execute it incredibly well and it and all goes well, it's just so satisfying. And sure. then, you know, a quick turnaround for Ithaca the next day, and they're a different team than Albright as well, so... Um, just a lot of credit to my players and to my assistant coaches for helping put together the game plan, and it was just uh, just a great weekend. Yeah, you guys, of course, Dan Raymond, a tough coach at Ithaca himself, and, and you're playing there, of course, which is also one of the more difficult places to play. But I'm, I want to go back a little bit. You guys get the at-large bid, and I, I apologize. We didn't select you, but we also didn't select five teams that the committee did. It was a rough <laughs> year for us. Um, how did you guys find out? Were you watching? Did you dare go that route or was it more of, uh, just kind of take a peek? Okay. I'll be honest with you. I listened to your show Oh no! and you didn't, we weren't even in the conversation. No. So I I was feeling kind of good before the show (laughs) because I thought, you know, we're six in the region, but ahead of us are three NESCACs and we know one will get, you know, if we didn't win it, uh, one was going to get the automatic bid. And then, uh, luckily, Eastern Connecticut won theirs. So I felt like um, Western New England was above us. But I, I still felt, you know, our region is, is very strong. And um, you had, your group had projected two, just the two at largest. And I thought, I don't know. That's, we don't usually only get two. So I felt like if we got four, we, we should be okay. Um, so we, I did have my team come in, and those of them that could make the, you know, a bunch of them had classes. I think we had half our team there, and our, my assistants were there, and a few other people that were just really excited about it. So um, there was a lot of screaming. When, when Western New England, we came up fast, too, when Western New England's name came up, everyone sort of held their breath because we didn't know if maybe they had gotten the bid over us. And then we came right after them. So there was uh, screaming, yelling, cheering, you know, just utter joy. And it was um, to see kids experience that, it, uh, you know, as a coach, that's, it just brought me a lot of joy to go through that with them and just, uh, just sheer joy. You know, no one has handed this team anything this year. We, we've had to work for everything that we got and, and continue to. So um, to have that pay off and have the chance to 
playing the national championship, you know, tournament is just uh, unbelievable. I'll say the same thing I said about NYU, who we didn't select either, and we saw their reaction on our show Monday night. If if I can get it wrong and see a reaction like that, I'll take all the credit in the world. Yeah. Oh, it's it's isn't it fun when you're when you get a group like that? You know yeah. that it just it's just to have that experience and you know going into this weekend again, I didn't know how our team was going to react. Um, but we had a great week of practice, and no one got ahead of themselves. I think that was the most exciting thing. I've, I've taken teams before, I think, that thought, wow, we're in the tournament. You know, and that, and that was sort of overwhelmed them a little bit. And this team wasn't overwhelmed. They just were like, okay, we're just going to go play the game. And um, we're really putting it together. And, you know, we play in the NESCAC, and that's such a hard conference. So we feel that we've been tested this year throughout the year and our non non-conference strength schedule is really strong as well so um we've had to fight really for every win that we've gotten you know they a lot of them haven't come easily and most of them haven't come easily so um we're, we're kind of battle tested and i'd like that well it's interesting because this is this team has no experience in the postseason you guys haven't been the NCAA tournament since 2015 and you haven't been to this part of the tournament since 2013 so there's nobody besides yourself that that this team can kind of lean on and go hey what's this like so what's that experience been like just fun <laughs> just just uh you know i've never taken it for granted uh, when when with any other team that i've gone with and i think um you know i i just think it's such a incredible honor to be able to play to, to, and I, I told my team, I, I said, you know, um, there's 43 automatic bids and sometimes those aren't necessarily the best teams in the country. They, they went, they may be in a, a weaker conference, but the at larges that go out, those teams are all good because they've earned it. And I wanted my kids to understand that they earned the right to be there. Our body of work, um, was what got us in. And, and, again, so nothing was handed to us. We, we really had to fight for it. And um, this has been a process, too. You know, my, my juniors and seniors are really leading the way. And I think, uh, especially my junior class, I, I felt like they were very talented. It took a little longer than I thought to get them at the level that we need to be at to compete at this level. But they've arrived, and um, they've done the work. They understand what it takes to win it at, at in the NESCAC and what it takes to win, you know, in the NSA tournament. So it's just um, to see that growth is so exciting. Talking with Pat Manning here, Williams women's basketball coach at Williams. Uh, that seemed redundant. <laughs> Let me talk about your team. You've got a handful of seniors, but you're led by juniors. Maggie Meehan at 13.8 points a game. Michaela Topper, a junior as, as well, at 12.2 points a game. Um, those two both pulling down about four rebounds a game, handing out two to three assists per game. You have a senior in Emily Chang at 10.8 points a game, and she's uh, one of your, your main rebounders, uh, though also Katie Brule, the other senior, at, at six rebounds a game. Brule bringing in about six points per game. It's an interesting dynamic. I, I'm, I, I don't know what to, to make of the fact that you've got some your, – your scores aren't necessarily your rebounders and your rebounders aren't necessarily your scores – Sometimes you see one or two in there that are kind of part of everything. Yeah, and I think it it's sort of goes along with our philosophy of um, 
playing defense and de- defense and rebounding are our two main things. And um, we do have those kids can score. You know, Emily had a 30-point game, and Maggie and Michaela have had games well into the 20s. But that we don't really emphasize that. Our, our main focus is, is on defense and rebounding. And, you know, that's how we got the two wins this weekend because uh, Albright averaged 47 rebounds a game. Ithaca has such a powerful inside game. We did get out-rebounded, but we got the ones when we needed to. Um, and I just think... We really focus, we, we preach to our guards that guards can be good rebounders and we need them to be good rebounders. And, um, and they bought into that. You know, we lost early in the season, we lost Emily Peckham, uh, a senior who was our leading rebounder um, to uh, ACL. And so Emily, uh, you know, that was a big loss. We didn't know how we were going to react, how we were going to respond. And, um, I think she also, her presence, and she encourages the post players to rebound, and she sort of builds them up. Maddie Mandyke, as a sophomore, has kind of taken Emily Peckham's place, and Maddie is all about defense. So um, my other two juniors, too, Gabby Martin, great defensive player, brings a lot of energy to the court. And Morgan Dock had a big game for us. Yeah, Ithaca came off the bench to score 11 points and get some key rebounds and steals. So this group, there's no one that um, that's selfish. There's no one that really cares about stats. Everybody's just in it to for each other, and we, we kind of play for each other. Interesting enough, you're going to get toughs at um, yeah. in the next game. You've kind of seen them. You've seen them recently. And it's all been at their place. Just the way the NESCAC schedule worked out. You played them on uh, the 15th of February and lost to them 76-60 at Medford. You then saw them again on the 29th of February in the conference tournament. Lost to them 69-63. And and now you'll get them again. What I take away from it, though, is one, you're very familiar with this location, and so is the team. Second, it's been close games. What do you think you can take advantage of with Tufts to maybe pull off the win this time around? Well, third time's a charm, right? Exactly. Um, um, yeah, so it will be our third time playing them in four weekends. And um, we are, we're just, our, I think from the growth, I, I would say with our, starting with our semifinal game or our quarterfinal game with Trinity, um, where we, we just, really put it all together and then go into Tufts and challenging them really right until the last minute. Um, and then with what we did this past weekend, I just feel like we, um, we believe and, and there's a lot of confidence now. Um, I also think we will put together a better game plan. Um, we can do some things now that we did this past weekend that we hadn't done in the past. So we're kind of excited about that. Um, but yeah, our, our, we're definitely, you know, Tufts draws a great crowd, and, and uh, so it'll be, the gym will be rocking on Friday. We also have a lot of alums in the Boston area, and a lot of our families can, can make it. Um, so we'll have a great contingent of East fans as well. Um, but we're just up for the challenge. You know, Jill's done an incredible job at Tufts this year, and she's also um, on the committee for the All-Star Game. So we've worked closely together all year. Um, and it's just, uh, it'll be fun. We're really looking forward to it. Did you, were you coaching when Tufts was going the other direction in, in that, in that gym? Oh yeah. Yep. 
when did they make that change? Because that was because of the NCAA tournament, right? Because that the floor was right. short. Right. Their their floor it wasn't uh, long enough. It was too short, and um, they changed it. And yeah, I'm I, I'm trying to remember because it was, um, you know, I'm thinking ten years, but it may maybe a little longer, maybe a little less. I'm not I'm not totally sure. Um, so it's a real different look now. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's kind of a cool place to play. And um, the fans are like right there, so it's it's fun. Yeah, definitely. I, I I haven't asked this of our other guests, but based on our news at the top of the show and you being a NESCAC school, I am curious. I know there's apparently I've not read this, but I know it's out there that the NESCAC presidents came together and talked about spring break and games regarding you know COVID nineteen, the coronavirus. But then Amherst has taken this decision to not have crowds at their games right now we're not getting that indication at, at Bowdoin we're not getting that indication at Tufts what kind of how tough can that be if if you know your fellow NESCAC school is doing it and and others are not if you were in that boat where, where would you fit well we haven't canceled our spring break trips as of yet and and hopefully won't but um you know as I've talked with our trainer we were out in Ithaca and they just canceled their men's baseball trip. They were supposed to leave on Friday and go to L.A. And I talked to the AD, and, and she said the reason isn't um, so much them going out there playing. It's what if, what if they have to be quarantined and they have to stay out there for two weeks, and they, how do you get them back to campus? And our trainer was kind of saying that as well. You know, when, what if one kid on the team gets sick? Does the trainer stay? Do they stay in a hotel? What, you know? How do they kind of deal with all that? And it's not not a money issue. It's just a, sort of a, what do you do with the kid? You know, do the parents fly down? Um, you know, and th- is the rest of the team able to come back? So it's, um, we, we were talking about it. We just did our call for the All-Star game, and we were talking about it in Columbus. You know, where Dixie um, has done such a great job, Dixie Jeffers, of getting everything ready for us to come. And um, as of now, everything's, going on his plan, but, you know, things can change. Um, I just hope that we're able to, you know, New Orleans is coming up. And all these fun events, March Madness, you know. So I'm just hoping everything's going to be able to go as scheduled. We were very surprised when we heard Amherst did that. Um, and Tufts is not following suit and Bowdoin is not following suit. So um, I'm not really sure where, where, what their rationale was. I don't think there were any confirmed cases on campus, so I, I'm not really sure. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, and I yeah. appreciate it, even though I put you on the spot there a little bit. By the way, I don't think the coronavirus wins if Dick, it goes up against Dixie Jeffers. No way. Dixie will <laughs> get it every time. She's put in too much work for this. She has been working on, on our All-Star game since last, probably last April. That's so, amazing. A lot, of, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Yeah, we've had her on, and, and she was fun to talk about. Uh, Pat, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I enjoy talking about your team, and I'm glad we got that opportunity. You guys had an interesting start, though. You started undefeated for a good long run, and then the NESCAC beat you up. But I guess to some degree it's made you guys even better and maybe a threat here, right? Well, you know, we, we talk about that, that um, we see great teams week in and week out in, in the NESCAC. And um, I think, I, I honestly believe, that we, it helped us, you know, to have four teams still playing in the Sweet 16 just speaks volumes about the strength of our conference. And um, 
from every team from there's 11 of us from 1 to 11 this year there there were no easy games there there were you had to fight for 40 minutes in every every game and um, that makes it exciting and that makes it that it make definitely makes your team a lot tougher so that was one thing that we were saying as we were playing this past weekend was our conference is so deep we see this all the time so just treat it like another NESCAC game and it worked out well, I appreciate your time. Good luck this weekend. I know you'll have fun. As always, we give you, though, the final word. Many final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in. Yeah, well, thanks, Dave, for having me. And I you know, really appreciate all that you do for our teams and to promote uh, our D3 basketball. And, um, you know, it's grown so much. You go on your site and, wow, big time now, Dave. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just you've done such a good job. Um, Except with that selection, not talking about us. That was the only, <laughs> that was the only bad part. But, um, but I, I just really grateful. And, and uh, you know, for East fans all over, come, in, come to Tufts if you can. Tune in definitely. Um, this team, they make me very proud. They make Williams proud. I'm just thrilled to be able to coach a group like this and, um, and to have the assistance that I have. And just uh, I'm very blessed and I'm very grateful that uh, this is my 30th year and that we're still rolling. So I'm having a lot of fun. And, uh, again, thanks for having me on and hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you, Pat. I really do appreciate it uh, and look forward to talking to you down the road because I'm sure we'll find a topic, uh, either your team or something else to discuss. Great. All right. Thanks, Dave. Have a good one. You Pat too. Manning joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, the Williams coach, 23-4 and four with her squad. And, again, they're dancing on to Medford Mass to take on Tufts in the next round coming up on Friday. By the way, to the comment I made about the NESCAC presidents and COVID-19, they, they released a statement basically saying that they're aware of it. They're keeping an eye out on, on some of the campuses. Some schools, as, as Pat Manning did mention, have made some decisions with their teams directly. We now know, of course, the Amherst decision on top of that. Um, we will continue to follow this. I'll give you an update on more of it when we come back. When we come back, Bob and um, Ryan join me. I want to say real quick that Gordon Mann provided us uh, the post game from Christopher Newport's win. We're just so jammed tonight. I couldn't get it into the show. I feel bad because Gordon did good work for us. I'm going to see if we can get it into Thursday's show. I know it's a little dated by that point, but I think it still gives us a good sense of what happened with Christopher Newport. That said, w- there's an outside chance I slide in at the end of the show, but unfortunately, just because of the, of, the, of the news we had at the top of the show, um, we ran out of time, but we'll see what we can do. When we come back, Bob and Ryan join me to talk about what we've seen in the tournament so far, and I'll recap you as well about the, uh, the um, coronavirus that we talked about at the top of the show. You're watching Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will after this. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I play because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. 
No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I used to never really talk. Ever. I was scared and shy. It was hard to look at people's faces. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we continue to motor along. Um, again, we were hoping to um, have, um, what's his name? Gordon Mann's uh, post-game chat with uh, Christopher Newport tonight. But because of the coronavirus coverage we had at the top of the show, we ran out of time. I'm going to try and make it happen on Thursday. I know it's slightly dated, but I think it's going to still be relevant. Uh, but we'll circle back on that one. I want to remind everybody of what we did talk about at the top of the show, the breaking news that we did have in regards to the coronavirus, or better known as COVID-19. Uh, the women's bracket came out. Of course, we just got done with the men's side where Johns Hopkins hosted but closed the doors. They announced that, oh, let's call it 13 hours before the game was supposed to tip. The first one ended up being about 14-plus hours ahead of that first game. Um, at least gave some um, 
fan, uh, people noticed, but I knew one person who spent a thousand dollars on trans travel back to Baltimore to see that game. Obviously, got um, snubbed out of it. Um, Hopkins blamed it on Montgomery County cases, which is a county in Maryland near D.C., but all their actions had everything to do with Yeshiva. I just wish they had been up front. Well, on the women's side, Amherst shut the doors at 90 minutes before their first game, giving absolutely no warning to anybody. Apparently came from the presidential level. The women's committee has rewarded Amherst, the host, to start uh, for this next weekend as well. Now, I am told that we, we there was a logistical debacle last year in the case that apparently uh, not all hotel rooms were uh, arranged and taken care of um, for the teams that were coming to Amherst. Then we get these doors being locked, uh, basically saying no one can be here because we're afraid of the coronavirus. By the way, with no cases that we are aware of affecting any of the teams, at least at Johns Hopkins, you had Yeshiva, and that's kind of why I wanted them to be upfront about just using that as their as their reason because there were two cases at least connected to the team, or not to the team. Now, I don't want to say that. Connected to the campus. Um but in Amherst's case, seems to be completely on their own. Um, the Women's Committee has, has, is sticking by that. We had statements at the beginning of the show. But there are more calls tomorrow. There is a chance. There is a chance this changes. We, we can't say that for sure. We don't know if things will be changed. But this has gone all the way to the top levels of Division Three in the NCAA, and we will see what happens. Really quickly about Yeshiva, because I was interested uh, in what they were doing. Um, and here's what I, I can tell you. First off, they will not be in school the next two days because they're a, it's a holiday on Monday and Tuesday. If school is open on Wednesday, Elliot Steinmetz tells me they will be in school on Wednesday. Um, in the meantime, they are, lo- they are practicing at local Hebrew schools, mainly on Long Island. But again, if school is open on Wednesday, he is not going to preclude his team from being in school. They will leave Thursday for Randolph-Macon. But this is all depending on if the school is open in the first place. Health department has given that team the all clear. Keep that in mind. They've been given the all clear. They were given the all clear the entire time. WPI at one point looked like they weren't going to play. There was talk. I got word that there was an outside chance of a forfeit that luckily we ducked. But um, anyway, it's it's nuts. And speaking of nuts, we have a lip sync issue on the show tonight. But what can I say? At least you're getting the audio side of things and we're not showing anything incredible. Um, but go to the if you missed all of that, go back to the beginning of the show. Look at it. See what we talked about. Pat Coleman joined me as well. And we discussed it. It really shies away from what was an absolutely incredible opening weekend in men's and women's basketball for this tournament. We thought the brackets looked good, and those brackets resulted resulted in some tremendous games. And as always, I am thrilled to be joined by Ryan Scott and Bob Quillman on the Blue Frame Technology Skype hotline. And guys, I, I know while we talk men's basketball primarily, both tournaments were full of fascinating results from the moment we started at 2.20 Eastern time with the Yeshiva game all the way into the end of games on Saturday. Ryan, I'll start with you. Uh, you and I were sitting next to each other um, trying not to, to cough in an empty gym. Um, this was thrilling from start to finish. Yeah, uh, it, it was really fun. I should I should mention, uh, I talked to a bunch of the Yeshiva guys today. I'm doing the feature this week. They would want us to, to know that neither of the cases associated with the campus None of those people have been on campus. There has right. not been any confirmed um, uh, virus on yeah. the campus, and they would want to make sure that we're clear about that. Well said. <laughs> um, well said. 
And uh, at least the players I talked to didn't expect that classes would happen this week. They don't plan to be on campus or in Manhattan at all this week. So, so um, yeah. but yeah, I, I thought that it was a great experience, even despite not having the crowd there. Obviously, it would have been better. Um, but people kept asking me in, uh, about what it was like. And I said, hey, you know, I've been to a lot of MTD3 gyms for games. Um, you know, the benches were pretty loud. And, and uh, uh, once you're in the game, um, even the guys today talked about they didn't notice it because they're focused and, and they're ready to go. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Um, Bob, from your vantage point, first off, I turned to Ryan in the Yeshiva game and went, uh-oh, Bob just noticed how good Yeshiva is. Because <laughs> uh, you tweeted something out, and and listen, they're really impressive in person. But you you made a point that he and I had been talking about. It started with that one, Bob, and it rolled right through the weekend. Not only upsets, but just good games. Yeah, I can't remember a tournament where, from the first moment that the games tipped on Friday through late last night, Saturday, that there were so many games that were fantastic and the fact that I could watch almost all of them, you know, the, the staggered start times, kudos to Sam Atkinson and his, and his team, because that's such a little, little decision to make it seems, but what a big impact that had on the ability for those of us that love to watch these games to see almost all of them. Right. So the, the, the staggered start time, you could watch, you know, part of Wash U and Nebraska Wesleyan and then go over here to North Central and Oshkosh and I could watch Illinois Wesleyan and Hope Women over here. Um, so I just thought it was probably the best first two days that, that I can remember in this tournament. We didn't have to choose between any games that were coming down to the end. You know, we got the end of one and then, you know, there's four minutes to go in the next one. And we got the end of that and there was four minutes to go in the next one. And we were able to see all of them. Yeah, at one point while they were uh, in between games at Johns Hopkins, Ryan, you had left, uh, but we were in a, a little bit of a media room, and I had you know one game up. I, I think Sam, who, had, who was on site, we should point out, uh, because of the decisions. I know Sam was going to be on site anyway, but I think because of the decisions, Alex was there as well. But uh, they were in the room. Everybody had a different game up at one point trying to figure out. But as you point out, Bob, we're so used to on the D1 side of seeing games finish and then another game finish and then another game finish. We don't get that in Division Three. The whip around shows great, but sometimes we're missing finishes because we're jumping into other games. You literally could go from finish to finish to finish to finish to finish or a halftime or whatever you needed to do along the way. It, it added a little bit more excitement to the point that I almost lost track of the next game starting at Hopkins where I was already at. No, it, it was fantastic. And in, like you're right, in Division One, I've spent many a Thursday and Friday yeah. at some local establishment watching the, the 11 a.m. game. And then one comes on at 11.30 and 12. And, and it felt like that. And I always, in the past, I always remember talking to people like, boy, I wish, I wish we could have something like that. And I think now that streaming is so reliable that now you can do that. And it really makes a difference. To your point earlier about Yeshiva, kind of where you started the question to me, you know, we've had a lot of good, lighthearted, fun banter about Yeshiva and, and Pool C and their, their SOS. But the good thing is that this time of year, you're able to put the numbers away and just watch basketball. And Yeshiva is an outstanding team. I don't remember where their winning percentage or their SOS was, 485 or something like that. Same with Pomona Pitzer. I think Pomona Pitzer has a bad SOS. And 
you're able to just watch these games and say, hey, those teams can play with anybody. And so it really makes you think a lot about the process. On the flip side, you know, I think uh, Oshkosh has proved themselves as a as a great team, despite having a really low winning percentage. We can get into all that kind of stuff, but just a fantastic eye-opening weekend, I thought. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I am afraid to ask what was your favorite game, because honestly, when I asked myself, I had about six. For me... I really liked the the Worcester Grove City game. I, I thought because because again, like on paper, I don't know anything about Grove City College. Nothing. I've never watched one of their games. Honestly, I don't know a thing about them. I watched that game though, most of the game, at least from midway first half to the end. And they, to me, were the better team, which is what shocked me. And it and it brings about this this parody theme that we've talked about. Who would have thought that Grove City would get on the floor with Worcester and you'd, you'd come away from it thinking they were better than Worcester? They had more balance. Their inside guy was better. Um, I think their scheme was better. They played harder. They played with more intensity. That was my favorite game because it made me say, wow, like this team on paper, I would have laughed at in the bracket. Um, there, there was no reason to laugh anymore. That was that was a cool game for me. Ryan, did any game stand out to you? I mean, that Pomona finish over Emory was pretty amazing. Yeah. But uh, to me, it was it was some of the moments. You know, um, I, I had picked St. Joe's to beat Hobart, um, and they came back a long way. And it was at the end of the game that you realize uh, <laughs> these guys are only freshmen and sophomores on that team. And to do what they've done this season, you know, the program just started. That was pretty cool. Um, Nichols over Stevens, that shot that, that Bruton took, he's had, I think, probably the best eight day stretch of the season so far. I'm sure it'll get beaten by whoever wins the title, but um, you know, he, he averaged something like, you know, 38 points a game and 12 rebounds or something over the conference tournament. And that, in that first game, um, some of those things were cool. Like Bob said, I turned into tuned into Grove city Worcester with about six minutes to go. And it took all of three possessions for me to say, Oh, uh, this isn't a fluke, right? This isn't a, this isn't a Cinderella upset. Like this Grove city team is legitimate. I'll admit, I, I, I appreciated that Grove City at least made it competitive, if not winning, because I felt better about me saying, hey, in the NCAA bracket show, that Worcester-Grove City game might be tough for Worcester. They, they don't realize it yet. And I remember saying that in the back of my mind going, why did you go there? Because I've done that, <laughs> and you know, I'm trying to be fair, but I'm glad they at least proved me right to some degree. Coach Lamey's got a good squad in his hands there. Um, by the way, uh, it's good to have an SID on the committee because here's what uh, I got as a note just now. Second round men's basketball games, 11 of the 16 were decided by 10 points or less, and six of them um, were one possession outcomes. Uh-huh. I, it, but it goes back to this word that we've almost overused, parody. No question. That's start to finish. We've had a hard time filling out our top 25 brackets. Um, we've all kind of had a few teams at the top, and then after that, we've struggled. And the tournament is bearing that out. If you just look at all of these results, uh, I think we've been we've been dead on since since the first tip at the beginning of the season. You have a lot of teams, uh, and, and even look, there's 16 teams left. I don't know if you can eliminate a whole bunch of teams in terms of who could win it. You know, of 16 teams, should we say like 12 of them could win the national championship? Like it's it's a crazy number at this point, because as I look at the bracket, uh, I, I can't remember a sweet 16 where I thought that that many teams legitimately could cut the nets down. No, I, I agree. I, usually you get a couple that make Cinderella runs, but you don't have that much confidence in. But even Coast Guard, 
had a good game against Brockport. I mean, even you know, the only one who didn't, and, and it's not a knock on them necessarily, but you know, Brooklyn was the only one, but Ryan, they were going up against the behemoth that is Swarthmore, as you would expect. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Mount Union and Cairn was a pretty lopsided one as True. well. But they, I, I mean, it really was like two or three teams, um, you know, that that it, it, it just wasn't a great game. And Brooklyn played their hearts out. I oh, mean, absolutely. I was at that game. Swarthmore really could have been up 60 at halftime. And, and Brooklyn really gave it to them. Um, you know, they were just outmatched size-wise, you know, it's, uh, I don't think Brooklyn, Brooklyn had one guy on the roster who was, who was bigger than any of Swarthmore's players. So uh, that was just, just a tough one. A couple things that jumped out at me as I just go through the, the, the bracket, as it were. Um, not surprised that Swarthmore had close games. That's kind of not the, the biggest surprise, but the fact that Whitworth will be at Swarthmore this weekend, uh, you know, is of note. The fact that Brockport got past Middlebury, not because Middlebury is so, somehow superior by anything, but I think it proves just how good Brockport really is. Um, the fact that we're going to have a Tommy Johnny game, game number four in the round of 16 in Collegeville, that place is going to be off the chains. But more importantly, it's the fact that St. Thomas got past Platteville and St. John's got past Eau Claire to do it. Uh, you pointed out Pomona Pitzer. Emory's five losses. Three of them are buzzer beaters. Three of them are freaking buzzer beaters. To uh, and they were and they had the lead, I think, in all three of those uh, at, before that buzzer beater shot. Obviously, the Grove City win. We mentioned that um, the fact that North Central knocked off the defending champs. The fact that Wash U had a, a somewhat surprisingly easy time in the Nebraska Wesleyan. That known that Simowitz was obviously out due to injury, or at least tried to play, I should say, with an injury. Uh, Nichols getting past Stevens uh, jumped out at me. The fact that Hobart had to withstand Coach Calhoun's team. And then defeated Springfield at Springfield. And by the way, welcome to Division Three, Coach Calhoun. Uh, Penn State Harrisburg knocking off Hopkins. I was watching that. They they punched him in the nose. And I, I said at the beginning of the show, the crowd wasn't there to help Hopkins back in it. And they lost their best player with 15 to play. TCNJ beat Marietta. Um, Susquehanna over Benedictine and then gave Wittenberg a game. I, I knew Frank Marcinic would be ready, but Wow. Um, the only one Mount Union's quad was about the only place where the games weren't competitive. It it was an incredible opening week weekend for this men's side, and oh, we only get one game per round for for this weekend. This is this is disappointing. Yeah, this is this uh, Friday Saturday setup. And by the way, uh, kudos again for for making it Friday and Saturday and yeah. staggering times on Friday and Saturday. If you if you care to, you can watch. Just about every game, uh, which is incredible. But it, it's if you look at the matchups, you will not find a single game that you can say is going to be more than maybe like a four-point spread on paper. If Literally, if you look at every single one of these, most of them, you say like, that's kind of a toss-up right there. That is why it is such a great bracket and a very balanced one. By the way. There are three West Coast teams on the west, on the left side of the bracket. Thank you to the person who sent me this note. And we're guaranteed one to get to Fort Wayne because it's Tommy's Johnny's in one of those games. That you know, we talk about the West Coast region not getting its chance. It's got its chance this year, and they've got a legitimate chance of getting two teams to Fort Wayne for the for the round of eight. Just amazing. 
Yeah, it, it, the the matchups, like like Bob said, is what's really interesting. Is you look at them, and and even the one where you might say, you know, maybe Hobart's a slightly weaker team, but they're playing CNU that that maybe is also in that category, sure. and and good teams. I don't don't get me wrong, but right. you know, uh, they're just matched up in the right way that every one of these games is going to be great. And as long as you don't tell my wife, I'm planning to make three of them in person this weekend. Yeah, I so saw I saw that, your sneak peek, sir. That Yeshiva game is going to get over in time. It's only about an hour and 15 minutes down to Christopher Newport from there, and I can get down there in time for that game to start and then up to Swarthmore on Saturday. So right, it should right. be – I'm excited about that. Ryan I, I might be ruining my plans. Three-eighths of this team. I want to talk to Sam because I, I had another plan to do something, but I can't pull it off because I need to be back here Saturday night. Um, guys, I, I hate to put you in the spot. How much of the women's side did you watch? Because I thought the women's side was just as fascinating as the men's this year. I watched 40 minutes of basketball and the final four that I watched were the most miserable four I've ever seen in my life. Obviously, my alma mater led by nine points with four minutes to play against number one Hope. Sorry, bud. They played their hearts out. They did everything right. And for the final four minutes, they did almost everything wrong. Hope came in and did all the right things to steal that game away, turn the Titans over. So I watched one really big game, and boy, was it. I mean, you got to give kudos to Hope. I don't know how many people were at that game. It seemed like it was over 2,000. It was rocking in that place. The atmosphere was great. And uh, kudos to Hope for the big, huge comeback win over Illinois Wesleyan. It was a great game. Yeah, that was pretty good. Ryan, did you catch any games? Um, I, I watched the last minute of that game. Um, <laughs> the problem was Saturday night, the game started so early. I had something else going on yeah. until about 8 o'clock. And most of the games were pretty much over by the time I was able to get in. Um, and so I, I missed a lot of those, but I really do miss it because th this, in terms of the women's tournament, we had a lot more upsets than we are used to seeing, right. uh, especially even in the first round. Um, I, you know, watching some of the highlights and Twitter's nice for that, that you can get, you know, <laughs> random spectators in the stands <laughs> showing you some nice clips and everything to help. Um, and, and, you know, it, it just seems like on both sides, um, it's very competitive and, and a lot better games to watch than maybe we've we've had the last few years. By the way, six flights, six flights as of now headed on the women's side because of those upsets. Scranton losing to Endicott in the first round. Bethany Lutheran knocking off Bethel in the first round. We don't get that normally in the first round of the tournament. We got it. We even got some second round surprises. The fact that Mary Harden Baylor came out of that Texas pod I think I don't think surprises people, but it certainly may not have been the first or second choice for a lot of play uh, of people. Williams, we just talked to Pat Manning coming out, Smith coming out, um, some and trying coming out of Whitewater. Now they head to Maine. Uh, there's just so many fun little things in there that that are going to make the next weekend so much fun uh, on the women's side. Back to the men's, looking ahead at this one round game, as you point out on Friday and Saturday, uh, where we get them split up. Uh, any of the games you, you got keyed to must-watch? And I'm sorry, you cannot say all eight. You know, from my standpoint, obviously, the, the kind of the part of the country that I focus on the most, the North Central Wash U game is fantastic. I think that's a complete toss-up. It's at North Central. That's that's a hard place to play. It's a, it's a big, cavernous gym. Um, I, I think edge to North Central because they're at home. And, uh, and certainly, obviously, Elmhurst and Pomona Pitzer. Who would have thought Pomona Pitzer – would, would be here in the Sweet 16. Um, those games I just mentioned are about 18 miles apart. <laughs> yes. Elmhurst and North Central. 
So I'm I, I, my answer would be all of the games, but if you're making me uh, focus on a couple, it's it's the two central, you know, the central regionish areas. I think those are fantastic matchups, and I'll leave a freebie the Tommies and Johnnies for whoever wants to say that that one's fantastic. Oh, absolutely, Ryan. Yeah, I, I mean, so many of those. I mean, North Central impressed me so much. I picked Oshkosh over North Central largely because it felt like those seniors from North Central had not stepped up when they needed to in big games. And they certainly did against Oshkosh. And it was fantastic. Watching the overtime for that uh, that game was, was unbelievable. And I think uh, it's a whole new team. I mean, they proved that they were able to step up in a place they hadn't before. And, and that changes everything. Um, obviously, making Yeshiva... Um, you know, the, the teams that are going to get Randolph making trouble are the ones with really good offenses. And this is the most efficient offense in the country. Uh, you know, that's going to be fantastic. Um, you know, that we got the Tommy Johnny thing going on. I am not sure. I, I just feel like it's not a great matchup for St. Thomas. You know, the size that the Johnnies have, it, it's very hard for me to think that they're going to be able to pull that out. But who knows? They made it this far. Um you know, uh, Brockport and Tufts, I think, is going to be another one. That those are very evenly matched teams, um, and and I'm just excited to see if a team like Pomona can get through and get one of these West Coast teams uh, into Fort Wayne. And how about you know, it, it it's time to figure out who Wittenberg is. This whole season, yeah. I have had a good feeling on is Wittenberg the number three team in the country or the number nineteen team in the country. So they're going to get their chance on the road at Mount Union and Mount Union may be the favorite to win this thing. They're one of the top two or three favorites. I'm really interested to see what Wittenberg does on the road against a fantastic team that won the OAC. Yeah, no, I agree with you entirely. By the way, I remember thinking last night, geez, there's a chance we're going to California for a game. Because remember last week we were kind of under the impression that that, um, that uh, Elmer's wasn't able to host for some for some reason. And I don't remember the reason. I'm not going to try and guess. So I thought to myself, geez, if that problem still exists, we could be in L.A. for, right. for a game here. This is, this is surreal. It almost I, – I thought the same thing. I don't know what was going on in Elmer's gym, but if I'm them and I know that I can host that thing, whatever it takes to fix that damn floor, I'm fixing it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, the other thing that jumps out at me too is, um, yeah, we got games that are close. Tommy's Johnny's obviously – Tom, St. Thomas won, but it was at their place. This is the third time they're playing at St. John's. But what I, I like is we got some different matchups despite that geography. You have Yeshiva Randolph-Macon. You have Brock, Brockport-Tufts. You have Hobart-Christopher Newport, which, by the way, if you look at the mileage system, is 500 miles one way, 501 miles the other way. Right. Gosh darn it. Um, yeah, Wash U and North Central obviously is a game. But here's a funny fact. You ready for this one? Mount Union and Wittenberg have not played in years. They're from the same region, and I thought I saw a note earlier, 1997. Is that right? I might be off. That's what Mount Union tweeted out. Yeah. Yes. So they have not played in a decade. Two. A decade. Two decades, Dave. Or I mean, a decade. A century. <laughs> you know, several decades. It might be worth it to check out. Someone's going to prove me wrong the second I say this. I can't remember North Central. And Wash U, they're in the same region, and Wash U plays tons of CCIW teams, right? They play Illinois Wesson and Augustana almost every year. Has Wash U played North Central in a long time? I'm just not recalling it. I don't know. I might find out shortly. I do know Hobart and Christopher Newport have never played. I just got told that little nugget. 
uh, according to my source here, a lot of first-time meetings. So maybe Washu was in that category. Yeah, I'm going to guess Swarthmore and Whitworth have probably never no, played. Probably and, and Pomona and Elmhurst, well, probably this is the first time that we've got. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, this is just, it's going to be fun. Uh, guys, before I leave you, I do want to talk uh, coronavirus. Not that I really want to, but uh, Ryan, you and I were sitting next to each other at Hopkins. Um, Bob, I know you were seeing things from afar. I don't know how much of the beginning of the show either of you guys got. Uh, we'll start, Ryan, with you since you and I were obviously in a gym that was shut down with no crowd, and I've already stated it several times. I think it did cost Hopkins in the end um, because they just didn't have the crowd to kind of push them along to some degree. Your thoughts on how this is, well, what, what we've, what's been reported, I, I don't know if I want to put words in your mouth and say how it's being handled, but you, your thoughts on, on all of this so far. Um, I, I was actually reading something today that was really interesting. It was from, from a medical doctor who does this sort of thing, and they just said when we're trying to contain a virus – you want to shut down public events and people mingling. He said, but we're beyond that at this point, right? There, there's things cropping up all over the country, all over the world. You know, it's it's past containment. Now it's just a, an issue of being safe, right? So you can have a crowd in one place without shaking hands and doing some of those sorts of things that we've had before. And, and it leaves people up to their own judgment, right? If you're someone who's particularly susceptible to something like this or more in danger than, than, than someone else, stay home. And I'm sorry that you're going to miss out on that, but you know, that there are people who want to be at these games and are, are willing to make those choices and be responsible. And I think they should have the opportunity to do that. Well said, Bob. Yeah, for me, you know, the, the biggest beef that I had with, with what happened to Johns Hopkins was really just the, advan the the notification, the advance notice that it came out late Thursday night, if I recall. Yeah. And so I thought that that was like, if you're going to make that decision, you need to make that early Wednesday or, or Tuesday, preferably, and say, look, here's what we're going to do. I didn't like that. Um, I don't like how Amherst handled things on the women's side. I don't like that they were awarded a sectional and they've said, thank you, and we're not going to have any fans there. I don't know enough, obviously, about the medical side of this. I would echo what Ryan said is I'm listening to, to all the same kind of conjecture and in, 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 in how this thing works and how it spreads and how it doesn't. Um, I'm seeing other games. I watched a whole bunch of Division One games throughout the, the, the last couple days where there was, you know, 16,000, 17,000 people in gyms, and there's NBA games, and there's all kinds of sporting events. Um I'm not saying that Division Three shouldn't be the leader and do the right thing. It just doesn't feel to me like things are at that point yet where those schools should have made those decisions. And uh, but look, I have my my D3 fan hat on, and and I just hate to see these games played without fans. I feel bad for the parents. I feel bad for people that have been to every game and watched their team. And I put myself in a fan's perspective. I've made so many trips as a fan in the tournament to to places you know, around the whole country watching Illinois Wesleyan. And I just think, what if I had not gotten to experience that? And that's the, the, the tough thing that, that I think is, is I'm thinking of all this. Yeah. No, well said. Um, I will give you this nugget as a reward, though. Watch you and North Central have only met twice. They split the series. First meeting was in the 69-70 season. Last meeting was in 2011-2012. And the second round at Wash U, which North Central won 72 68. So that's my reward to you, Bob, yes. for speaking out. So it's, yeah. So even like a central matchup where you're looking on paper, oh, those are two central teams. That's not a familiar matchup at all. Um, so again, the, the, the matchups we have, the eight games are fantastic. Yeah, they really are. And at this time, the men's committee says there is no word or no signs. I should say it's probably a better way of saying that, that there will be any closed doors for those games.
Guys, well, and you think oh, Ryan, that they would. I was just going to say, you'd think that they would know after all the commotion and everything that's gone on this weekend, they would have had the conversations and made the decisions, right? That, I mean, unless something drastically changes in the reality of, of how dangerous the disease is, right, that that they would have, have made the decisions they're going to make at this point. So hopefully that's something that'll stick. Yeah. Um, the sense I get from talking to a number of people today, <laughs> I did not expect to spend my Sunday on the phone and on email and on text messages as much as I was today. But the sense I got was if the men got any inkling that somebody was going to shut their doors because of this, they were going to go in a different direction. Maybe that's too easy to say and a little too much of a blanket statement. But my sense was, no, they'd go in a different direction. Um, that that number five that the women's committee decided was not important in Division Three tournaments it is important on the men's side. They raised rates recently to try and bring in more revenue. They are conscious of that and that they would want to go somewhere where they weren't going to lose money. Well, I, I tell you what, the men's tournament is going to make a lot more money at Christopher Newport because they're going to have twice as many fans there for their home game. If the, the women's team can't bring anybody. Fair point. <laughs> Fair point. Didn't even think that's of that. A big, good, that's yeah. a big facility, and they're going to sell that place out. You know, There's going to be yeah. some good revenue there. Yeah, good point. And apparently you're headed there. Is your wife within earshot? She can hear my speaker so I can yell it out loud. So she It's hears, more she the knows. Saturday one that might be trouble, but. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Well, good luck to that, sir. If we get you on Sunday, we know you survived. Yes. Guys, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you down the road. Enjoy the tournament. See you guys. Have a good one. Thanks. Ryan Scott, Bob Quillman, joining me here on Hoopsville. Really appreciate their time. By the way, side note, and I, I, Dare, I didn't know if I wanted to go here, but I I saw a tweet that, that I thought was somewhat funny. It's a little dry. It's a little bit of a shot, so forgive me. But here's a tweet from Andy Archibald. The school named after Jeffrey Amherst is worried about spreading diseases. It's got a little irony to it, does it not? Listen, I do want to thank those at Amherst who tried to give us help on this story. Um, it is above the department. Please understand that. We know that for a fact. It is way above the department. The president made this decision. We will see tomorrow morning if that decision is changed. Apparently, there are a number of phone calls that are going to be taking place tomorrow uh, involving much of NCAA and Division Three. There's a lot of scenarios I could see happening. In my personal opinion, the Women's Committee probably should be somewhere else. And if you're willing to shut your doors and keep people out for no reason other than, well, I don't want to say no reason. That's not the right wording, but you don't have an actual cases on campus. You're not dealing with schools that have cases on their campuses and whatnot and whatnot and whatnot. And as Ryan Wells said, well, this is at a point now, if you just got to be smart yourself, then maybe you shouldn't be the campus holding this tournament. Maybe we need to be somewhere else, whether it's in the area and we just go to another school in there because logistics, or maybe we make a crazy scenario and we go to Christopher Newport and work with the men. Maybe the women shift to a Saturday Sunday tournament so that the men can play their game on Friday without any real issues. Um, because I don't think you can play Friday, Saturday, the men playing Friday. It's just, that's not possible. And you can't ask the men to move to Saturday. They've already made some other arrangements. We can't make that change. Or uh, the best thing, case scenario is maybe the men flip it and go to Hobart. But at this point, that cat's out of the bag. I'm not sure if that can get changed. I don't know if you can fly to George Fox, and I don't know if you can fly to Mary Hardin-Baylor, but those are other options as well. So we'll see where this goes. But it's unfortunate we're here. And it's unfortunate that that's the decision Amherst has made. 
I, I think the worst part of it, and, and this isn't at the people who wrote the statement, this is those who told them to write it. Um, at this point, the NCAA tournament continue, uh, games at Amherst will proceed at this with this change, being that the doors will be shut. And we hope fans of the teams playing will nevertheless wa- watch the women experience the thrill of playing in an NCAA tournament game via the live stream. The wording's wordy is is weird because what thrill or experience of a thrill of playing in the game is there when there's no crowd? It, it, I've been to three games now with empty gyms. Two just on Friday, and there were a lot of media because of it, and the benches were pretty loud. The third was Marietta. That was organic because Marietta had lost, and so the second round, the place was empty. I don't want a repeat of the first two, and I'm hoping maybe some better plans come out of this in the long run. Um, And with that, we're going to sign off for the night because we were past when I thought I would wrap things up here. Uh, to quote a lot of you on Twitter who said this, if that's your procedures to being in this tournament, that you're going to shut the door, then you don't you should need to host. That's a decision by Amherst. I don't see the advantage of hosting if you're not going to allow a crowd there. So just waive your rights to host. It doesn't change anything major in the tournament. Go find another site to play. It hurts your women's team. I, I get that, but it hurts your women's team not to have it have uh, the crowd there too. It'd be nice to have LaFrac, right? All right, with that, we sign off. Thank you very much to everybody who came on the show. I want to thank, first and foremost, our guests. And, of course, they are Todd Raritan from North Central. I want to thank Clark there at North Central for his help. I want to thank Frank Rossi for putting the Hobart interviews together. And, of course, I know Ken DeBolt had something to do with helping him with that. Greg Dunn at Brockport. I want to thank him for coming on the show. And thanks, uh, uh, Jill for Gill. I meant for Gill. I, I honestly don't know. I apologize uh, for his help. Uh, at Trine, I want to thank Andy Rang for coming on the show. And of course, uh, their sports information office for their help. And Pat Manning, I want to thank, uh, I want to thank our friend Pat for coming on the show. And of course, uh, with Pat, um, I also want to thank Chris for his help on getting on. And then I want to thank all those who helped me throughout the day with our story about uh, Corvid, uh, Corvid, I'm making up names on, but the coronavirus. Pat Coleman, especially, he was helping me, but other guys who were bou- I was bouncing ideas off of. But I also want to thank all those who are willing to talk to me today, whether it be off the record, on the record, background, whatever the case may be, to allow us to have an in-depth story at the top of this show to talk to you about. Um, I really appreciate everybody I talk to, and we will continue to follow this. Hopefully it's not a major story when it comes to Thursday, but we'll find out what the next 12 hours presents. Uh, Again, I apologize to Gordon Mann and his hard work on getting us the Christopher Newport interview. We will try and run that on Thursday. And with that note, we sign off. I want to thank our partners because we haven't had a chance to do it tonight, uh, which is a shame. But I want to thank our partners at Sensible Sports Marketing. Uh, If you want promotional gear, whether it be maybe a big big sign on your wall or you want to get something to promote your program, whatever the case may be, they they certainly know how to come up with big-time solutions on small school budgets. Uh, posters, schedule cards, you name it, they've got it. Give them a call at 1-800-575-4765 or check them online at GetSportsSense.com. That's GetSportsSense.com. Also thank our partners at Sport Tours International. Play the world, they say. If you want to take your team on an international trip somewhere in Europe, South America, maybe Costa Rica, they certainly have the skills and the knowledge to put that together for you. They also have the skills and knowledge to put a great 
tournament together, whether it's the, da- the Daytona shootout or it's the D3Hoops.com Vegas uh, trip, uh, D3Hoops.com tournament in Vegas. You heard me right, the D3Hoops.com Classic. We partner with Sport Tours to put that on in in uh, South Point Arena. We hope you'll give Sport Tours a check them out at sporttours.net. And I want to thank Capital Elite Agency. If you're looking to advance your career as a Division Three coach or a coach in general, check them out at CapitalEliteAgency.com, CapitalEliteAgency.com, or check them out on Twitter. Cap Elite Agency is their Twitter account. Cap Elite Agency is their Twitter account. By the way, our donations continue. We'll put more information this week about that. We got asked to do it more, so we're keeping it going through the tournament. Venmo it should be working, but I don't know if it is. We'll check into that. If not, we'll find another solution. If you have problems with it, let us know. But we got a little bit of more donations after the end of the last show. We appreciate it. We'll put more information out. That information is twin, uh, pinned to the top of our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all of you enjoying the show with us. We'll see you back here Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. You've been watching Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. We'll see you back here on Thursday. If you want to talk Division Three basketball, you've got to listen to Hoopsville. See you on Thursday, folks.